Chani. I'm at Lottie's. And you're listening to Meet Us at Molly's. And I'm excited about today's show because it's going to rock. gonna be all sunshine and roses but I can promise it's gonna be a hell of a ride Verdict! I'm like can't even really believe it happened oh my goodness I can't even believe it happened mm-hmm. I'm still in shock yep Verzik did that. They did the thing, all right. Oh, yes, they did. Also, RIP that lamp. Um, but yes. actually, though, we are hashtag winning this week because Verzik. Because Verzik, indeed. Hashtag Verzik bang. JK, that was terrible. Anyway, hi. Hello. Welcome to episode 254. Uh, yeah, we're, we're still in our uh, happy Verzik bubble. So, uh, yeah, nice. So, yeah, we're covering this week's episodes. I mean, you guys know that. I always just say it at the beginning of every episode. It's just formality. But, yeah, uh, 817, 1117, 1017. It was a very emotional week in one Chicago. I honestly think, though, and I know I've seen a couple of people say this, I honestly think overall, like, if you take all three episodes, I think this was probably my favorite week of one Chicago in a really long time. Like, I actually really enjoyed all of these yeah as as a whole package this was a great week it was a very strong week Mm -hmm. yeah and I really appreciated that I found myself on the verge of tears many times as the night went on like in tears yeah because okay so fire with Cindy of course oh yeah and then that rolled into PD and this is such a heavy story right and then we got into the whole thing about the evidence and oh yeah Burgess trying to like fight that back and then the trauma of it all it was it was a very emotional night of one Chicago but it was a very very good one yeah I could see what you're talking about with the evidence stuff that definitely I don't know if it made me cry as much as I was just angry and like we'll get to that you know we'll get to it get to it but like yeah yeah so not a ton of news this week. Um, we're we're new next week. I know you guys know that um, because Casey. But yeah, we're new next week. And then there's a hiatus after that. And it, it seems to be just a one-week hiatus at this point. So there's really no news. There's no episode descriptions or anything. There is one little tiny bit of news that dropped on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven Weber from Chicago Med, I guess he just couldn't deal with us like being the one podcast on in, in town. He had to go make his own. So yeah. Uh, I'm kidding. Don't come for me. But Steven Weber is launching a podcast with his longtime friend, Eric McCormick. Eric McCormick played Will on Will and Grace. Um, And they are launching a podcast called Eating Out with Eric and Steve. Uh, The description says the new celeb dinner party podcast Eating Out with Eric and Steve launches April 5th with new episodes every other week on Wednesdays. We're a little busy on Wednesdays, Steven. I know. I was like, really? Wednesdays? Wednesdays? Wednesdays. We're a little busy, but okay. Uh, McCormick and Weber are friends since the must-see TV days, have spent 20 years laughing, singing, arguing, and eating out. And now they're bringing the conversation to your ears. In each episode, they yak and snack with their favorite showbiz friends to share behind-the-scenes stories of their lives in entertainment. All right. I think that'll be fun. I think it'll be fun, too. Yeah. Yeah. 
the yeah. initial lineup of guests joining the co-hosts and upcoming episodes. So we've got LeVar Burton, Alfred Molina's coming up, Brian Cranston and Julie Bowen. That'll be a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wiley. Rachel Harris, Jason Alexander, and Rachel Lee Cook. Okay. Yvette Nicole Brown. Yeah. Yeah, I solid, like it. Solid lineup. That is a solid lineup. I'm excited to listen. When is the week with Gina and Bryna? Because I want to join. That yeah, sounds I mean, fun. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds yeah. fun. I also just want to have Steven back on this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Like, especially given like when we had, well, when I talked to him last year, where we were with Archer, I was like, eh, Archer, like, eh. mm-hmm. and now I'm like full-fledged Archer Stan. And like, I, I just, I want to talk to him about that, you know, character. I just, I want to talk to him about that many things. So oh, could you imagine a happy hour with him just sitting back and listening to Hollywood stories? Oh my God. Well, I guess that's what this is basically going to be. It's just like Hollywood stories. Ooh. I mean, right. That's what I kind of, it's just like eating and Hollywood stories is what I think this is, is what it I sounds like. like. It. I like it. Yeah. I am intrigued. Yeah, I will definitely. Got an episode where he has Epatha and Oliver over for dinner. Oh my God. If anyone, whoever produces Steven's podcast, if they somehow are listening to this, please, please make that happen. Make that happen. Just trust us. Because that would be amazing. It would. It would. Just trust us. Yeah. Oh man. I like it. I'm excited. That sounds cool. Yeah. Really fun news. Yeah. Yeah. So good stuff. It's about all the news we've got this week. Again, there's really not much going on. Uh, um, if you haven't seen our little social media thing that went out yesterday on Wednesday, it's on our TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, make sure you check that out. Um, yeah, I think that's really it, but yeah, yeah. That was a lot of fun. Also don't forget the, uh, our, our terms of the bet go into effect tonight. Yes, I know. Trust me, I've already thought about as I was outlining, I was like, okay, like even in the outline, I was like, don't say this name too many times (laughs) or else I was like, she, her, they, I was like, I'm not, which it's going to happen. And I, I mean, Jimmy said that like, even if we do it just once, that'll be funny in and of itself. So I, I'm not too worried about it. I might forget, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So over the stupid tournament now. I'm already over this bet, but it's fine. <laughs> I'm st- just, I'm still so bummed that like we didn't get the spin class. There were comments on socials today. And people were like, maybe old Jimmy will live up to his end of the bargain. I'm like, do you know how badly he does not want to do that? There's no way. No, that's why it'll just be the terms next year. And hopefully mm-hmm. he'll lose. We're coming for revenge. So spoiler alert. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah anyway let's move into the episode shall we let's do it all right let's start off with chicago med so this episode of med it's not just your average episode of med it is directed by brian t yes i love this episode it was good it was really good i loved it i do think and we've kind of talked about it a little bit in like text and i know some people pointed out i think it is important to point out like I don't think hype is maybe the right word, but like how much there was on social media about Jesse directing last week. And like, there was like a little bit of Brian, but like Brian, and I don't know if that's like Brian not wanting to do press and Jesse did like, I don't know where that comes in and like whose idea that was, but like Jesse did like 20 million interviews and like Brian did none. 
and or maybe like one but like you know it's just like I don't know I just thought it was really interesting even just like the pictures like they had like a bunch of pictures of Jesse and then like not as many of Brian yeah and it and that would strike me a little weird if Jesse wanted to do press but Brian didn't Jesse's a lot more reserved more reserved than Brian they're about the same honestly yeah I think maybe Brian a little bit less but like or a little bit more but I don't know and like nobody really knows I mean like I said and they have different I think it is also important to note like they do have different med is separate PR from PD's PR mm-hmm. so or at least on the NBC side so I don't know if that plays into it either like I really don't know but I just think it is important to acknowledge that like there was definitely less of Brian than there was yeah of Jesse and I even in the like, weeks, like leading okay. up yeah, yeah I was gonna say even in the weeks leading up it was like we were even confused because we kind of forgot that it wasn't 16 anymore that Brian was directing. It was 17. But like, I feel like for three or four weeks now, it was all like, Jesse's directing episode 16. Jesse's directing episode 16. And then it was like crickets until like two days ago for Brian. Yeah. I feel like I only saw like maybe one interview max with Brian. Yeah. Maybe. I don't even remember at this point. But yeah. It's just weird. It is weird. I mean, we can only, we can only guess. We don't know anything. We can only like throw no, around guesses. No, it's just, I just think it's important to point out that like we recognize the, I, I you know. Disparity? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the behind the scenes stuff that the cast dropped on Thursday was pretty cute though. All the behind this, or Wednesday, I'm sorry. All the behind the scenes videos and, and pictures with Brian and the script, like the signed script, that was really cute. Yeah, I love that they did that. I mean, they did that obviously for Jesse too, but I love that they did it for Brian too. Like, I just think that's so cool, so special. Um, I think that's really cool. Did you see the video with Jesse and Nick um, where like they like separated and Brian was in between them and then Brian was like, and cut. And they both were just yes. like deflating. It took me a second. I'm still not used to like Jesse, especially with Nick. I'm like, Jesse, I was like, Jesse Lee Soffer. I'm like, what is he, what was he doing there? I'm like, I was so, yeah, it's, I'm still not used to her with, I, that was not where my mind first went, but yeah. 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 But yes, I did see that video. It was very cute. It was cute. It was cute indeed. So, um, also if, oh, and we can probably tease next week's interview, can't we? Yeah, so if you haven't seen, uh, we talked with Devin Kawaoka last week. That's Kai on Chicago Med. And next week, we can officially announce we are talking with Lila Rich Creek Estrada, aka Nelly. Yes, we're just going to finish out the Med intern class. Um, we love them. So we're very excited. Because they're all amazing. Protect them at all costs, please. Yeah, and make sure they come back next year. They'd better come back. They're the sweetest people in the world. Yeah, all three of them. But actually, though, yeah. No more new interns. Um, side note here, but that picture that Devin posted with Lila at that wedding they went to, they looked so good. I thought Lila posted it. Did Devin Did also Lila post posted? It? Whatever. They went I to know a wedding I saw together. Lila's. They were, yeah. I thought that was so funny. It was so funny. They went to a wedding together and they both looked wallace. I feel like, yeah, that was just so fun. We'll definitely yeah. have to ask Lila about that when she comes on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she looked great. So did he. Um yeah. Devin's been wearing these suits at these premieres and events and I'm like damn Devin I see you <laughs> like yeah yeah any just anytime every time like a cast member gets suited up I'm just like I love it like same. it's just so fun to see them all get dressed up for things yes I agree so 
Uh, yes. Okay. Let's start off with Will and Hannah and Grace because, yeah. Okay. First and foremost, the most important tidbit from this whole episode, Will's bowling shirt is back. Did you see that um, our friend Connor told us that it wasn't even really like scripted that he was supposed to wear it? Like the costume department just like made that happen? No, I didn't catch that. Yeah, he said it responded to one of our tweets um, about the bowling shirt. And he that said it that it wasn't better. even like it was like scripted. They just did it. Oh my God. Bless you, Chicago Med Costume Department, because that was amazing. Yeah. What it would have been weird, like, especially because we've had the bowling shirt a couple times already. Like, if he wasn't wearing the bowling shirt, I would have kind of thought that was would have been weird. I'm like, where's the bowling shirt? Well, I, I appreciate the repeat that they brought back that specific shirt. Cause like, what if he owns other yeah. bowling shirts, right? He probably owns yeah. that same shirt in a couple different colors. I was um, waiting. I mean, I was waiting for you to watch the because we had a screener for this episode. So I was waiting for you to watch it for a couple things. But the minute I saw the bowling shirt, I was like, I was like, Gina is gonna die. Um, literally, when I when I started watching it, I texted Bryna, all caps, no context. I just said, Will's bowling shirt is back. She texts me back, all caps, not even kidding. She goes, I've been waiting for you to watch this for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, ab- about that and other things in this episode yes. that I wanted to talk to someone about. But yes, yes. the bowling so, shirt for you specifically. For me specifically. Okay. But all this time, so I just thought he owned a bowling shirt for the sake of it. I thought Will can't shop for himself and just bought a shirt one day thinking it was a shirt and it just happened to be a bowling shirt. Oh, no, no. You're telling me that Maggie, Ben, Doris, and Will get together on a weekly basis to bowl. I, apparently. Why is this the first time that we're hearing about this? Well, I mean, we kind of knew, remember, obviously Maggie and Ben got married at the bowling alley. They had the, so we knew that bowling for them was like kind of a thing. But yeah, I definitely don't think I realized they, it was like all this group hangout. And like, why can't we get more of these things? But actually though. Like, they're not, I mean, granted, I guess they're a little hard to film because they're not on the med set. But like still, episode, but like more of these group hangout, like. I love this so much. So much. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. It was so good. Just, and I, I, yeah, I want more of this. What are they, what do they talk about on this weekly basis? Who do they spill tea about? Like, tell me everything. Yeah. Yeah. So Maggie is the shameless queen that she is. And I love it so much because Maggie's like, yeah, Ben couldn't make it, but don't worry. I invited a fourth. Oh, by the way, she's single and it's Grace. And so Will's like, are you trying to set us up? And like, she doesn't even miss a beat. And she just, "Mm -hmm," and just moves right on. Maggie, I love you. Maggie, the queen, we stand. I love it so much. It's so good. So yeah. So Grace, they're going to go get Grace a drink or something. There's the comment in here that Will drinks dark beer too. Bryna hates beer, but I can, I never saw him as a dark beer drinker. I saw him more of as a light beer drinker, but okay. All right. I'll take it. What kind of beer do you drink? Um, I'm like right in the middle. I don't like it too light, but I don't like it too, too dark. Like the dark ones can be good, but sometimes they get too dark and they get like really like sweet and dense, like milkshake consistency. And I don't like that. Okay. So this one I'm drinking right now, it's, it's like a middle one and it's really good. So, um, oh, and perfect timing. Charlie just brought me another one, (laughs) um, which is this one. This is another mid-range one. Yeah. Um, God, that was perfect timing. That was really perfect timing. Good Lord. Yeah. Um, So yeah, uh, I'm a middle beer drinker. So Charlie's more on the light end. 
Charlie's actually more on both extremes. Nobody wants to hear beer talk at Molly's. Anyway, carrying on. So yeah, so Will's just like, so you bowl, like that's crazy. I didn't know that. And Grace is just being Grace. She's like, yeah, I did it in undergrad a little bit, fell in love with it. The physics of the game are really elegant. She never turns her brain off, does she? Mm-mm. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. So back at med, um, they do a little flirting. And by do a little flirting, I mean they try really hard, but it's just kind of awkward. Yeah, like I just it's not the worst potential for a ship I've ever seen on any of these shows, but it's like it's not there either. So Hannah sees this and she comes by and she gives Will some good natured crap. She's like, wow, you really fell flat there. Um, And Will's just like, "Um, I think you misread the situation. Okay, at what point can we just say it about these two? Do we wait until we're done talking about Will and Grace or can we just say it now? I don't know what you're going to say. They have no chemistry. Oh, you're talking about Will and Grace. I thought you were talking about Will and Hannah and I was oh, like, I sorry. don't know what you're going to say. No, sorry. I, I did not set that up correctly. Will and Grace have no chemistry. Yeah. It, the idea of Will and Grace as characters has potential. In actuality, it doesn't work. In reality, not actually. In reality, it's not working. There is absolutely nothing. But like them. on paper, I think the idea of them works. Uh, yeah. Okay. So on paper, it makes sense. Because we were talking about this last week, right? Because I was hoping that he was going to have feelings for Nelly. I know. And I already knew that they, he wasn't. And I was like trying so hard to like. You have a great poker face, though. I couldn't tell one way or the other. Oh, I thought I had a terrible poker face. No, I thought you I was like giving yeah. it away. Thank you for keeping that secret. Um, You're welcome. Though I could tell from like the recap when they were like previously on Chicago Med, I was like, damn it, it's Grace. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, we talked about this last week, how, I mean, Will and Grace, like you said, on paper, yes, they work, right? Will's on one end of the spectrum where he's all patient advocacy, emotions, compassion, all of that. Grace's data analytics, all of that. Right. They make sense. I would have liked it if they had developed her a little bit more before they got to this point. I think she should have stuck around for, I think if she's going to stick around, I think it should have been like a season nine thing. Mm-hmm. Like give her till the end of the season, whatever's going to happen with Jack. Cause I have, which we'll get there too, but I have a feeling Grace may fall, like go to the other side. And like, I could see her like rebelling against Jack when this whole shit show goes down. So like, if she were to stay at med, then let her and Will, you know, because at that point, you know, more episodes will have gone by. They would have had, you know, a deeper relationship, friendship, whatever. Then let them get together. Okay, but wait, I love this idea of like a mutiny against Jack. Do you not think that's not what's going to happen? It's, I really can't tell. And this is something that I think they've done a really good job with this season of like one week they paint Jack as a villain. One week they paint him as, okay, well, no, he's actually doing something kind of good. They're, I think they've been doing a good job of that. We'll say, I'll, I'll save my comment for when we get there because it has more to do with the Crockett stuff, but I'll save it. But okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, Hannah gives him tr- crap and Will's just like, you misread the situation. Okay, whatever. I feel so bad for Hannah in this episode because like she spends the first half of this episode just trying to be a good friend and she gets shit on at every turn. Not by Will, but also Archer too. Well, a little bit by Will. 
No, I said not. Oh, not just. Oh, yeah, not just by Will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Will's patient is a postpartum mom. She keeps throwing up. Uh, She just had a baby by IVF like six weeks ago. So he gets Hannah's opinion. And, you know, Hannah gives her opinion, whatever. But then she backtracks giving him crap. No, stand by it. Stand by it. Don't let him put those walls up. Don't let him do that. Um, And she just said, she's like, I never should have teased you. Obviously, men and women can be friends. But I know you tweeted during the episode. I think you tweeted it or the Wolf account tweeted it. But can men and women actually be friends? I tweeted it. I mean, I think so. But like, I don't know. I feel like on these shows, it's like, oh, yeah, men and women, let's be friends. And then nine times out of 10, they usually take it, you know, another way. Yeah. Not always. I mean, there are instances on this, on these shows of platonic male, female friendships, but obviously most of the times that's not the case. I think it might help if you narrow the, so instead of just men and women in general, can exes be friends? Yes. I have seen it work, but very rarely. I think it's also... I think it has to do with like the relationship you had while you were together. Oh yeah. Big time. And like, I mean, and that's not to say, you know, I think people who were just, you know, gotten together probably won't still be friends. I mean, they might, but they may not be, I think. And it also depends on how it ends too. I think there's a lot of different factors. So yes, I think exes can be friends, but I think there's a lot of different factors. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's like how much time, like, are they getting, are they deciding we're going to be friends like two seconds after they broke up? Or is it like kind of a Hannah and Will situation where like Hannah left for, you know, a couple of years and like came back and, you know, now she and Will can be friends. I feel like if they did not work together, they wouldn't be friends, not in a hostile way, but they just not, they would, they wouldn't. Well, interact. yeah. And I think that has to do with like, she left, she went to LA and he never talked to her again. Yeah. Until she came back. Mm-hmm. So I think there's so many factors that go into any of these situations. So like, yes, I think it's true, but like, obviously depending on the context of the situation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So the patient's labs come back and there's nothing definitive. So what do Will and Hannah do? Will and Hannah, two very intelligent, diligent doctors, they jump right to anxiety. Yeah. Really? Not the their best moments this was like really disappointing yeah and I guess it was like and I don't want to I think this storyline kind of got shoved under the rug a little bit like it wasn't the main part of the episode like there was so much else going on so I think they were like okay well we won't get into too much medical medicine with this one so we'll just say it's anxiety and then we'll go to what she actually has and then we'll call it a day and I didn't necessarily like that, but I think that's probably why they it, they did that. And, and I get it. I get it. But it paints them as irresponsible. Yeah. How many stories do you hear on social media week after week of women whose pain was just brushed off and then it turned out to be something way more serious? Yeah. And I think it'd be one thing too, if you're like, oh, I think it's anxiety. Like let's call in Dr. Charles or let's call in Nellie and like get a psych, con- you know, like get that opinion on it. Cause then I still feel like you're doing your due diligence, you know, to like 
figure out whether it actually is anxiety or something else. Cause we've seen that a lot of times too. They're like, Oh, it's, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, we think it might be psych. Like, let's just go get a psych consult. I think if they had gotten a psych consult, it probably would have come off a little better, but for them to be like, Oh, it's anxiety. She'll be fine. And then like, obviously she's not, it's like. That was, that was, I, yeah, that was, that was actually kind of frustrating. Like, yeah, they both know better than that to just brush it off. Yeah. Like go get a psych consult and then you can talk. And like, in some instances, yeah, it is just anxiety, but I feel like you can't approach every case that way. No. And if you don't feel like you're qualified enough to distinguish whether it's just anxiety or not, like I said, go talk to someone who is. Nelly, Dr. Charles, you know, like there are other people to figure out whether it is anxiety or, you know, actually something physically wrong. And then, you know, they can, then she can go back to Will and Hannah. And you know, what's crazy is that I would have more faith in Dr. Charles to make the right diagnosis than I would Will and Hannah in this situation. Dr. Charles would actually like rule stuff out and then realize, no, it is physical and bounce it back. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like if they just said, oh, we think it's anxiety. Let's go get a psych consult we're not having this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So right after they tell her, they've barely left the room. She has a stroke. And this is the one time I'm ever going to say that she was lucky to have the stroke. What if she had had it hours later when she was home? She probably wouldn't have survived. Yep. And like they were still in the room. Maybe because it wasn't anxiety. Mm -hmm. What a novel concept. I just feel like that's that's a more serious issue than people think. Yeah. Well, and just in general, I think how many times do you go to a doctor and they're just like, oh, it's X, Y, and Z. And then, you know, you're still sick or you're still this. And you're like, no, I don't think that's right. You yeah. know, like, I mean, even just on the simplest terms, it's like, oh, I think you have like allergies. It's just allergies. And it's like, no actually COVID or no it was actually pneumonia or whatever and you know it's like it happens all the time and also many different levels yeah it's 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 messed up it's, it's really frustrating up. though yeah well and Will and Hannah are the, the last doctors I would expect that from uh so you know just just kind of like oh really really the one little like bummer in this episode yeah 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 so they find out, I mean, when she has the stroke, they're like, oh shit, maybe it's not anxiety. And so they do more testing. She has something called Moyo Moyo disease, which is basically, it's a progressive brain disease that blocks the blood flow to her brain. Meaning this was just like the least hard, like this, this was like the least awful it's going to be. It's going to get progressive over time. Yeah. And so her body was basically making other symptoms to compensate and tell her hey something's wrong Mm -hmm. so there's two options there's like a medication option and then there's a surgical option will and hannah are like you're not at the surgical level yet you don't need it you know we can just temper it with medication and she's like absolutely the fuck not i have a six-week-old at home like we're opting for surgery i'm not waiting for the ideal time which that's the key thing here is waiting for the ideal time because will doesn't want to ask out grace yeah so she opts for the surgery and they're just like, okay, we're going to get neuro in to talk to you. That's fine. So later on, once that's over, Will decides to let Hannah in. Hey, you weren't wrong. I am interested in Grace. Okay. So why'd you give her the brush off this morning? Don't give me that stuff about her being a nomad. 
I mean, look at my dating track record here. Hasn't been exactly stellar. No offense. Yeah. <laughs> well, I might be crazy or out of line, but I wonder if all of these excuses are really just about one reason or rather one person. Natalie? Natalie. You know, it did always feel like you were still carrying a torch for her. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I still was. But now, I mean, it's, it's just me trying to get it right. Good. <laughs> You're a really great guy, Will. You deserve to be happy. Thanks, Hannah. Did you have a Natalie Manning reference on your bingo card? Because I did not. No, I did not see that coming at all. Nope. Nope. But she's got a point. Yeah, she does. She's got a point. Because in the beginning of the episode, Will says that, you know, Grace is a nomad, right? She's always traveling around the world. No wonder he's scared. Nat's not the only one who left him. Hannah left him too. Yes. Technically, yes. I mean, okay, so you could argue, I'm, I'm thinking back through like his past flames. I mean, no, he didn't hook up with Farmer Girl in season one. Yeah, just no, Nat and Nina, Hannah. Yeah, I was going to say because Nina didn't leave him, so. Nina didn't leave him. Sabina jumped to no. Dr. Choi. <laughs> well, yeah, we wanted it, yeah. Yeah, we did want that though. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it makes perfect sense. And then I love that Hannah's the one that brings that to light because the minute she said Natalie, I was like, what? And then I thought about it and I was like, okay, I didn't even see that. Good, okay, thank you for that perspective. But obviously this whole conversation, I know a lot of people are disappointed because this whole conversation basically is like, well, Will and Hannah are friend zoned. Like there's nothing, like that is not happening. Maybe they're better as friends. Maybe they don't need to be together. No, and that's what they say it can never happen. You know, like five years, like that, that's what they say can never happen. But for right now, they are definitely friend zoned. Like there is nothing happening right now between them. I'm oddly okay with that. Oh, I'm I'm definitely okay with that because I'm on a different Hannah ship. So that's true. We'll get to that's true. But yeah, yeah. So this storyline ends, and Will asks Grace out. I love the man. We all know that, but he has no game. None. No, this was so bad. It was so bad. None. It's so bad. Like even just like where you asked her out, like in the doctor's lounge, like it's just, it's just so bad. It was just like, he's like, there's no coffee. And then like, he just like completely forgets how to speak. And he's like, or I could buy you a cup of coffee. Awkward pause. She's so awkward too, because she's just so like into her numbers and into her lab stuff that like, obviously she doesn't seem to get a ton of like human and like human socialization. And so she's just like, okay. Like she's just so awkward too. Well, the way she immediately is like, no. And was just like, okay, bye. Yeah. Yeah. These two. Let's see where this goes. But as of right now, I'm not too jazzed. They have zero chemistry. Well, and the thing is, I think it'll depend really on what happens with Grace. Because obviously she makes a lot of reference. Obviously we know she's a nomad. Like Jack has her moving around a lot. So like, is she even going to stick around at med? Like nobody really knows. It's a fair I think question. There's a, 
I think there's a path for her to stick around, but I, it really just depends on what the med writers do. I like your theory about a, a, a Jack Dayton mutiny, though. That would allow her to stay. We'll get there. We'll get there. Do you think like 2.0 will like sprout weapons and like start shooting <laughs> at them to get them out? Like, maybe. Did you ever see? This is such a weird reference. Did you ever see that Disney Channel original movie, Smart House? Mm. Like from the 90s? I think I did, but it's, I, I don't remember it as well, well as Well, basically, like, the we're like the house, like, you know, because the idea is that like this house is like so futuristic and is like, you know, can talk and do all these like future techie things. And then like the house halfway through the movie starts like taking over and like, you know, doing things they don't want them to do because she thinks she's like the mom. Like, that's just what I picture OR 2.0 doing <laughs> is like taking over. And when you just said that, like, that's the reference that I made. Uh, I just, I have this vision of OR 2.0, just like, I don't know if it just shuts down or whatever, but then it like, it whips out the line from Die Hard, like super monotone. And it's like, yippee Kaye, motherfucker. The 2.0 jokes just never get old. Uh, 2.0. I know. It just, it's too funny. We will get there. We will get there. We will get there. Got some listener thoughts on this one. Uh, Brooke said, I'm really glad that Will agreed and accepted the fact that his love for Natalie has held him back. Even after he was the one who decided not to reignite their relationship, I think there was a part of him that missed her. Not even necessarily as a lover, but just missed the great friendship and camaraderie that the two had before their engagement. I think that always held him back. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if one day they did for Will and Nat what they did for Ethan in April. Not necessarily hoping for it, but I could see it. I never thought about that. But I think that's like a, if Nick ever decides to leave the show. No, we're not I said putting it. that in. No. Okay. Blah, 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 blah. No. That's when they would do that. Like, I don't see, because obviously Tori's not, I don't see Tori coming back for like a permanent role. Yeah. So like. It would only happen, blah, 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 blah. So I won't say it for Gina's sake. You can say it. I'm a big girl. I just don't want to manifest it. Jeez. No, I'm not trying to. If Nick ever decided to leave the show, I could potentially see them doing that. Because Tori has made, you know, she came back for the season seven premiere. Premiere. I had to like think about what season that was. Yeah. Um, so I think, and she's still in Chicago, so I, I could definitely see it happening, but not unless Nick wanted to leave the show. Never happening ever. Yeah. I can't lose another Halstead. I can't handle it. If you lost Will, I don't know what she would do. Um, I would need a week to just like, I would, I would probably record that episode like in fetal position on the floor. Yeah. I'm not, I'm being dramatic. Don't come for me. Um, but also you're not. And that's okay. I'd be sad. I'd be really sad. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah. Brooke also went on to say, I feel like Will's gotten a bit more mellow. It just didn't feel like him to chalk something up to stress for a patient. Felt weird coming from him. Right? Yeah. That's he like, has gotten, yeah. he has gotten a little more mellow, not as intense. I think that has something to do with the fact that he stopped doing illegal shit. Um, yeah. He's just chill. Does he need like a Kai style reality check? Not necessarily like farting and fainting in the OR, but like some sort of reality check Will style? No, because I like Will not doing illegal shit. So no, I, I like it too. I don't like him brushing off symptoms as anxiety. Yeah, no, agree. Agree. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Brooke also said, I kind of like Will and Grace, but like everyone, I have trust issues after this season. My only thought is that they'll fall in love. Jack's going to send Grace somewhere and Will's going to follow. And that's his exit storyline. Hope I'm wrong, but the trust issues are way too real. There is too much Will exiting speech happening in this like They're not going to, I don't see that happening at all. Like that would make no sense. Will's not in love with Grace. No. And I don't see him getting in love with Grace by the time. No, that's no, no, no. No, thank you. No, no. Yeah. But I mean, ships have proven us wrong in the past, right? So that could very well happen here. And like you said, on paper, they do make sense. It's just that like, there is not even a spark between them. Like, I will say this, and this is going to blow Brenna's mind. Okay. So like <laughs> when Hannah and Archer together, there's like, for me, there's like, little spark like a little bit not much that's the first time you've admitted anything resembling that and i feel like i just need to go text uh lauren and kim being like she admitted it i see that that okay so let me just sum this up in, in a thought while brian is text the group chat i see more chemistry between hannah and archer than i do between will and grace but that's not much that is not much what is something that like sparks like a little bit like Maybe, no, not even like a trick birthday candle because that sparks a lot. Like something that generates a really, really tiny spark. That's all I get between Hannah and Archer. I get none of that with Will and Grace. Bren is still like blast texting the group chat. It, probably in all caps. I can tell by the way she's like- No, not, focusing not, on in all, not in all, I just have long fingernails so you can hear everything <laughs> I'm typing. But no, I'm not, not in all caps, but. I said it. You can put that on the record. I said it. Just letting her get this. All right. Now we're, now we're done. <laughs> so yeah, that's Will and, and Grace and Hannah. And we'll see where that goes. Um, next up, we're going to talk about Archer. Bryna, take it My away. My favorite storyline. Well, Archer was an asshole for part of this episode. Don't like that part. But otherwise, my did favorite you catch, part of the Did you night. catch the line I put in at the, end of, at the end of the Archer section in the outline? Yeah, I did. <laughs> you were like, I can go off about the scene. Yes, I appreciate that. Okay, carry All on. Right. Go away. So Archer's really not doing that great, though. Nope. Like, physically. He had, in the episode begins, he has his dialysis catheter put in. Um, He's still able to work, but the doctor's like, you need to kind of just chill out a little bit, too. And Archer's like, what is that? I don't know how to do I brain does not process that. He grumpy. Yeah. So he's now grumpy. What makes him more grumpy? He shows up to work and sees that John got sean got a job at med courtesy of hannah and valeting cars and archer you haven't said the outline archer's such a dad in this thing because he's just like he has like he's proud of sean but he's also like got that disappointing face on that like he's like this you got out of jail and like this is what you're doing here with your life oh my god it's yeah it's just a tone of disapproval like what do you he's what do you want him to do yeah yeah but then he like again not most of his anger in this episode is coming from the fact that he's in really a lot of pain Mm -hmm. not that it's an excuse but that's where it is stemming from so he goes he ends up in the ed he runs into hannah and this conversation Uh, why would you get sean a job here Excuse me? Every person in this place knows what's going on with me. How long do you think it'll be before he finds out the news? 
Wait, he doesn't know about your renal failure? And I had planned to keep it that way. Listen, I just got this kid back. With his sobriety, I don't want to burden him with my stuff. Okay, Dean, sorry if I'm butting in here, but sobriety depends on both of you being honest. If you really want that real relationship with Sean, he needs to know. You are butting in, and I'll tell him when he's ready. Okay, hey. If you need a hand with anything, I'm here. I know that the first few nights of dialysis can be really rough. So. Yeah, I'm not in the market for a nursemaid. Got a real funny way of saying thank you, Dean. Yeah, like... I, he just, he, she's trying so hard to like be there for her because she's the only one that really knows like really what's going on with him. And he's just not giving into it at all. And I don't agree that that's the right thing to do, but that's what he's doing. That instinct of his to just like lash out when he's like, when he's going through something like that, just, that instinct of his has got to be like really ingrained in him from years and years of stuff. But for sure, he's really lucky that he works where he does because, you know, if anybody else at any other hospital was spoken to this way by him, they would be like, fuck this guy and walk away. Like, he's really well, lucky that he works at MAD. That's what we had for the first, what season did Archer come in? Six? Something like that. You know the numbers better than I do. Six? I think. I don't, the numbers all start to run together after some point. Anyway, that's what we had for the first year and a half, two years, whatever it was, of Archer. We did have him talking to people like that, and that's why we all hated him, because he would talk to everyone like that. We were like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, what? who does he think he is? Yep. So, and again, we we as viewers know where this is coming from. Like, we know it's stemming from the pain that he's in. Again, that doesn't make it okay, but, like, the viewers know. This is one of the situations where the viewers know more than the people around the character. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so he's not only not nice to Hannah, he's also really not nice to Zach. Oh my God. Zach has a bad day. Yeah, like this was definitely a case of Archer and the no good, very bad day. day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But Zach really was also having one of those because he had to work with Archer. So they get this guy who's T-boned. And again, he's just literally pretty much just like straight bullying Zach. Like he's like, Zach's trying to do this thing and Archer's like any day now like come on now like it's just like who this is not the Archer we love in season eight and it makes me so sad and it's not helping Zach learn no and again obviously struggling but this is not it and like Zach's trying to be so nice and be like because they kind of know that like Archer's going through an issue with his kidneys so Zach is like hey do you want some help like let me help you do this do you whatever and Archer's just like no and There's a like, way to dude. politely decline without being an asshole. And Archer doesn't yeah. know how to do that. Yeah. So, and then it just gets worse because like Doris offers him a seat and then he turns it into like a, this passive aggressive PSA. Like, it's just not a good look. And then again, he's like super terrible to Zach again, right in the middle of ED in front of everyone. Um, It's just not good. Okay. But it, okay. In all fairness, when Zach is like, okay, I don't think you should do this procedure. Bold AF. Yeah. Bold AF. But I don't think he quite yeah. deserved the dress down he got. I don't know if I would have done that if I was Zach. But also, yes, I agree. Did not deserve the dress down that he got. 100%. But also, I mean, 
maybe Zach was just trying to match him in tone, right? If the only way that Archer's going to communicate with him is going to be like super brunt, uh, brunt, blunt. I was going to say brash, then I, yeah. So if, if that's the only way he's going to communicate, maybe Zach felt like he had to come in, come in hot too, is as the only way to get that message across. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. I, I don't know if that much thought went into it, but yeah, I do see what you're saying. Um, that was pretty bold of Zach. And we don't usually see Zach be that bold either. No. Um, but yeah. So good old Maggie. Thank the Lord. Maggie comes in, saves the day. And it's like basically relieves Zach. She's like, I got this. Mm-hmm. But even then, like Dean is a fucking asshole. He like interrupts her. And it's just like, dude, 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 dude. So they do a reduction. The reduction does indeed hurt Arthur. And so Maggie and Zach were right. Because duh. Of course they were. And Dean finally is like, okay. Like he's just in a lot of pain. And he and Maggie have this beautiful heart to heart. And I just listen. Why do you think you're kidding with this tough guy act? Everyone here knows what you're going through. Oh, well, I see. That's the problem. That's all they say, a sick, weak old man. Let me get that for you. Take my seat. Should you be doing that? I can't stand that. There's no shame in having an illness. Listen, I'm the doctor in the CD. I'm not patient. Oh. You know, I once thought like you. After my cancer diagnosis, thought folks would only see what was wrong with me. That every kind word or offer to help was just an act of pity. Then someone who lived through my experience made me realize how far from the truth that was. That I was the only one defining myself by my illness. My friends, my family, my my community, all they wanted to do was support me. And all I needed to do was let them. It's not weakness to let people be kind. It's strength. I would have never, in the beginning, when I first watched this, I would have never thought about Maggie being the one to get through to Dean and, like, comparing what she's going through or what went she went through and what Marlene's currently going through to, like, what, obviously, Dean is going through. But it makes all the sense in the world, and I was so glad we got this conversation. Same, same. Maggie really, and I say this every week, but Maggie really does bring out the best in everybody. And she's got a magic touch. Like, and I put this in the outline too. What is it about Maggie that stops every doctor in their tracks and gets them to slow down and really reflect? I think it's because when she has a conversation with them, like when they're having a conversation like this, Maggie listens and you know that she's listening. Right. So I think there's some level of trust. And so then obviously when she says something like, hey, I think you need to like go sit down or hey, let me do this. They already trust Maggie. And so I think that's part of it. I think that she listens to them. I love that. And in a way, she kind of knows them better than they know themselves because as, you know, as charger, she's supporting them. And so she gets to know every single one. And she's of observing all the time. Yeah. She yeah. has to, because obviously she has to know like, okay, this room's empty, do this, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're working on this page. Like that's part of her job. So she's observing all the time too. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Maggie is the glue that keeps that ED together. 
Oh man. And like, I feel like we've, I've noticed it more and more as Marlene is not in as many episodes or like, mm-hmm. you know, should be in like one scene in an episode or whatever. I'm like, dang, like I miss Maggie. And I'm like, give me more Maggie. You remember when Herman was stabbed and Cruz said that Herman was like the beating heart of 51. That's Maggie yes. to med. Yes. Ooh, interesting question. Who is that for PD? Ooh, let me think. It was Jay. Yeah. Who is it now? Kim? Interesting. That was not what I would have said. Who are you thinking? I was thinking either Ruzik or Kevin. As like the glue that keeps intelligence together? Yeah. I mean, I I think I only said Kim based on season eight's ending and how they all rallied together to find her, but they would do that for anybody. I'm just even thinking about like, actually, I say not even as much Rusek. I think I'd say Kevin. We just don't get as many light moments on PD. No, and we don't get as many like whole group interactions anymore or anything like that. So it's hard to say, but like, it is interesting to think about. Yeah, I don't think <laughs> smile, smiling and positive emotion are not allowed on PD. Well, we got a little bit of it last night. Let me clarify. Smiling and positive emotion are not allowed in the bullpen. True. On yeah. the job. On the job. True. Off the job, though. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You destroy as many lamps as you want. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right. So Maggie obviously clearly gets through to Dean because he slows down. He apologizes to Zach. He teaches Zach how to reduce a hip. And he tells Sean, because the whole time, Sean hasn't known what Archer's going through, what Dean's going through. And Hannah's like, dude, are you stupid? Like, you've got to tell him, you know, honesty is a big part of, like, repairing your relationship. So Dean tells Sean. And then he goes to Hannah and apologizes to her, too. And then he's like, oh, by the way, let me ask you a favor. Cut to him, her helping him with his dialysis. And then he's like, okay, well, you can go. And she's like, no, no, no. I think I'm good. I'm just going to sit here, read my magazine. And this scene, oh my God. It's all I've wanted to talk about for, I don't even know how many episodes. It's been five days, however long I've been since I've watched this episode. It was- Still buzzing? Yes. Yes. These two, they just give me such a buzz. Like, I, this is the most I was telling you, aside from- Berzik last night actually happening this has been the most excited I've been about something on these shows this year that's awesome I love them so much I'm so excited to see where this goes and who's to I mean I might get the buzz at some point who's to say I won't but I just not yet not for me not yet see I really thought that once I saw the scene I was like and not to call you out, because I know you felt like we were like calling you out. No, I was either. definitely giving you guys no, crap, I know. but you guys teased like, me pretty hard. I feel like this scene, like up until then, it's like, okay, are we just reading into things or like, are they really going there? And after Hannah and Will friend zoning themselves and then getting this scene, I was like, oh, it's so obvious that's where they're going. Like they're okay. definitely going there. I I don't want to miss the note that, I mean, Sean has the job at med because of Hannah. Hannah's the one who got him that job. So um, that's it, not, not a thing. No, that's not a thing. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even clinging on to hope. I'm just making a note that that, that's no, 
still in the back of my mind. I had that same thought when that first scene happened. I was like, fuck, if they really go into like like a weird, messy thing, I'm like, that's not what I want. And then this scene happened. I was like, there's no way. It's just a repeat of the Crockett and Pamela and uh, what's her name? Yeah. Yeah. Avery. Yeah. Avery. I knew it started with an A. I couldn't remember. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. But that was only really messy because Crockett was basically playing both of them at the same time. That he was. That he was. There's nothing I feel like wrong with going from one to the other, but you can't play them both at the same time. That's just (laughs) really weird. I love it. But no, Hannah and Archer all the way. Give me all the Hannah and Archer. (laughs) All of it. We'll see what the rest of the season holds. I just hope you get convinced at some point because the vibes. I the might, vibes. It might happen at some point. The vibes. The vibes. The vibes. They are so vibey, so buzzy. Um, We had some listener thoughts on this. Heather B said, we had a flashback to Archer the Grinch and it reminded me of just how far he's come since we all hated his guts. Given Marlene's personal diagnosis behind the scenes and Maggie's on screen, Maggie's words felt extremely powerful and there was no one better to pull him out of his ass, his own ass than her. It was also <laughs> nice to see that he can now admit when he is misstepped. This last scene with Hannah helping him was cute. Dasher needs to happen ASAP and I'm excited for when it does. Yes. Dasher. It's a great, great ship name. That, yeah, that's perfect. Here for it. All right. I'll take it. I like mm-hmm. it. So next up, we've got Dr. Charles. He had a little bit of something going on. Um, As you know, when we outline, we pretty much just go in order of what scenes pop up where. So uh, yeah, Dr. Charles had a little bit of something. Anna's old enough to be applying to college now. That was weird. Also, I feel like, I mean, granted, have we, first of all, have we seen her at all this season? I don't think so, right? Maybe like once. I don't think it was. It was like so long ago. I don't even remember. But I don't know, like, on the one hand, I think it's kind of nice that she can just pop up here and there, like, they keep bringing her back. It isn't just like they had her for those few episodes and then she'd never come back. But on the other hand, too, I'm like, it's kind of weird for her to just pop up now for, like, one little storyline. It's just kind of random. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm cool with it, but also, to the powers that be, can you please stop making us feel old via the children of One Chicago? Yeah. Just like Lee Henry's like 22 or 23 now. Little Kenny's like 10. That's what's going to happen. I mean, the longer these shows go on, it's just like, oh man. How long until Terrence is in high school? I'm not ready. I don't even know. I'm like thinking about it. He was born in season two or season three? Three. So he's nine. Three. Okay. Yeah, so not that long. But with all the time jumps, though, you have to factor in the time jumps. Because it's not like it's a straight, you know. So he, my guess is he's probably like 10, mm-hmm. at least, maybe 11. But yeah. Ooh, so soon. A couple years. So soon. Yeah. So soon. So Anna's applying to college. I Wow, okay. So, and she's like... Tough stuff too. This isn't just something where she's like community college. She's looking at like a lot of schools in Illinois. She's looking at Notre Dame. She's looking at some big schools. She's also looking at Stanford out in California. Yep. For, and she's looking at their school of sustainability. I don't know what that is. 
my guess is probably like environmental, you know, science, sustainability, environmental science, something like that. Yes, Queen, you go make the world a better place. Now I'm Googling Stanford School of Sustainability. You little badass, Anna. Yeah. Go do the thing. Love it. Um, Climate change. The Stanford door, I guess I'm saying that right. School of Sustainability. Um, it op- Oh, it's brand new. It just opened September 1st, 22. This is the first new school, blah, blah, blah. It'll be one of the largest climate change related schools in the U.S. That's really cool. Yeah, it's like brand new. It literally just opened. So very cool. That is really cool. So Dr. Charles spends the majority of this episode with the mom of Crockett's patient. Um, and we'll get to him in a second. But, you know, when 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 Anna says the whole thing about, you know, going to Stanford, he basically is like, I thought you were going to stay close to home. Like, he definitely gets a little spooked. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, Dr. Charles just spends the whole episode with the mom of Crockett's patient and everything that she's going through kind of parallels what he's going through, right? He's a little spooked. And so, uh, yeah, so, you know, she's really afraid to leave her son at one point and Dr. Charles, you know, finds them a room right next to the OR. He's like, I'm sorry, you know, you've got to leave it to the experts, but you can be close by, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. we'll get close to it. So then at one point she has a stone that she's just holding and it's one that, you know, it just kind of reminds her of when her son was able to play because we'll get there in a second, but he's not able to like move around and play anymore. So um, just stuff reminding her of the past. And then at the very end, you know, she basically talks about the surgery and how they've waited for it for so long, but now it's going to completely change their lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, and Dr. Charles has a great quote here. He just says, every parent in the world understands what you're feeling right now. From the moment our kids are born, they start to move away from us. When they finally leave, it's only because we've done our jobs well. And so it's through the mom that Dr. Charles realizes, okay, well, I shouldn't talk Anna out of Stanford. I should actually talk her into it because if they've got the best school, she should do it. Yeah. And so he talks her into applying, although I caught the soundbite that she went early decision to UIC. Now, back in my day was when I was in high school, like 20 years ago now, but early decision meant that if you got accepted, you were bound to go there. Like you had to. Yeah, that's what it means. So she's still going to apply to Stanford, but what if she gets into UIC? Then she doesn't go to Stanford. Okay. Yeah, you, I mean, obviously you apply for to other schools because obviously in case you don't get in, but yeah, early decision. I didn't apply early decision anywhere, but. Yeah, I didn't either because like the pressure no way no thank you but yeah interesting go on anna go change the world girl i love it yeah go save the world really yeah like i said it was nice to see her a little random but like nice to see her Mm -hmm. yeah and we probably won't see her for another like who knows how long we'll probably get a soundbite next season they're like oh she's at stanford oh okay so she didn't get into UIC. She okay, didn't cool. get into UIC. Yeah, that's how we find out. Has she <laughs> met Liliana yet? That's a good question. I don't think she has. I mean, I was just, I obviously, I don't know. But like, I was just, had, you know, theories. Wait, but it wouldn't make sense for her to not get into UIC, but to get into Stanford. It wouldn't make sense. Why? Because isn't Stanford like borderline Ivy League? Yeah, I guess. I don't know why. So what does that have to do with anything? Because if she gets into the Ivy League school, but she doesn't get into UIC, that doesn't make sense. Wait, say that again? 
Isn't Stanford Ivy League or like close to Ivy League? Yeah. So you're saying it doesn't make sense for her to get into Stanford and not UIC? Because you would think that if she gets into Stanford, she's going to get into UIC too. Not necessarily. Okay. I mean, who knows? College, I feel like it's really hard to get into nowadays. Like, I'm kind of glad I'm not applying for college. Oh, anymore. same. Hard same. I didn't like doing it uh, 10 years ago, and I don't like it now. Okay, Google like says that Stanford is not an Ivy League school. No, it's just, I don't think it's Ivy League technically, but, like, I think it's just a very good school. Okay. So. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so after that, we've got Crockett. There's a lot of Crockett this week. Yeah. Oh, my. Crockett. Take it away, Brenna. All right. So Crockett's got this big public surgery going on. So much that like Jack flew in this patient and his mother for this huge surgery. The patient's spine is fused together and he hasn't laid on his back in 19 years, which like, I can't even think. Yeah. He's like folded over himself. Yeah. I like, can't even think about what that. Yeah. So he like must not have any feeling in his legs. Like that's got to hurt. Yeah. So Jack covered all the costs. Um, the only condition was that they allowed a film crew to basically make a documentary about it. So it basically is a publicity stunt for men. And of course they, they say, okay. Um, you know, if they get the surgery, you know, they're, they're, they have no complaints about it. Is it, is it really, a, is it still a publicity stunt if Crockett gets to change this guy's life though? Well, yeah, cause it makes men look good. But they also do some good in the world. No, I, that's what I'm, I'm, yeah, but I mean, the whole reason they're doing it is to make, if you told Jack Dayton, hey, you can do this thing, and he has two options, he could do it for the goodness of his heart, or he could do it to make med look good. I think there's maybe a little bit of the goodness in his heart, but I think it's mainly to make med look good. Yeah, that's fair. So I think it can be both. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah. I thought it was funny because, like, obviously, Croc is, like, really the face of this documentary. And, like, social media tagged Crockett, and it worked. Um, That man, there's no way that man checks his own Twitter. No. No way. Crockett does not strike me at all as a social media guy. Like, who handles his social media? And on what platform could they possibly have tagged him that would have gotten his attention? LinkedIn. I was thinking LinkedIn, but I mean, Crockett, I, I don't think Crockett checks any socials. But yeah. No, I mean, I don't see Crockett as like an Instagram guy. Knowing Dayton, he probably has a way to like track algorithms and track like words and trending topics and stuff for like everybody who works for him. When, like, and, yeah. yeah. And I'm, it's, it could be one of those things where they tag Crockett, but also tag like Med. I'm sure Med has a Twitter feed, you know. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. Um, Dr. Abrams, though, is also working with Crockett on this, uh, case, and Dr. Abrams hates the film crew. Oh, like, my goodness. He's so focused on the patient, and obviously, Dr. Abrams is amazing, but he is peak Dr. Abrams because he goes in and checks on the patient, and then he can leave, and, you know, they want him to say something to the camera, and he's just like, your show ponies right there, talking about Crockett, and he just <laughs> leaves, and it's just so funny. I loved when he walked in and he's like, how about you talk to the surgeon who's actually performing the surgery? Yeah. 
no better person to be on this case with Crockett this week. No, it's so good. Um, but guess who else is not ha- that happy about the cameras? Sharon. Sharon. Sharon is the one who's like, I don't think she hates the cameras, but she doesn't want the cameras to distract from the actual medicine. Because if they're not doing the actual medicine, then what are the cameras needed for? Yeah. So she says, she's like, I think Jack has a unique and commendable understanding of the power of PR. And basically that's just like saying, I hate his guts and, you know, I'm not happy with what he's doing, but he's my boss. So I got to do it anyway. She said that in corporate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, basically. So we're getting closer to the surgery and we get this Crockett and Abram scene. Here we go. Claudia's ready and the cameras are in place. I had the one at the head of the table move back. Better if you move them all the way out of the room. Are you afraid they're going to throw you off? Nothing throws me off. I just don't think publicity has a place in my OR. I'm surprised you took this case in. Well, I thought about refusing, but any other neurosurgeon probably paralyzed the poor guy. Now, sadly, at the end of the day, you and I are just chilling for a billionaire patting his pockets. If you want to look at it that way, okay. This surgery never would have happened without 2.0, and uh, it never would have happened without Jack. Right, now there was your participation in it. Okay, so there's something interesting that I caught here. So, you know, Abrams is like, look, I was going to refuse the surgery, but any other neurosurgeon would have paralyzed him. When Kai talks like this, it's arrogance. When Abrams talks like this, it's confidence. What's is is the difference just solely experience? What's the difference? I think so. I think Kai is too naive, too young to be talking like that. He doesn't. What has he actually done? Yeah, Abrams has a really great track record. Uh, Yeah, and and he knows he's the best by a long shot. Right. Right. I think, it, I mean, yeah. I, just, I think if Kai in 20 years says something like that, I, and I don't think it has, you know, that is, is that big of an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I just really appreciate how bluntly honest Abrams is in this storyline. Cause I think Crockett really needed it. Yeah. But it's also a really good reminder that, you know, you really can truly never let your guard down with a person. Mm-hmm. even if you start to worship them and think that they're flawless like things are going to come up that's gonna you know completely yep. alter your perception yep so surgery happens and like this is our first time really seeing abrams in 2.0 and it's so good because he is so anti everything that 2.0 is and stands for and it's so good it's everything we thought it would be yeah and he literally at one point he's like i don't need another opinion and it's just like of course yeah but so you have 2.0 and you're you know you're in 2.0 you've got Crockett you've got Abrams you've got Grace obviously but then you've got this camera crew and like the camera crew was a lot in there they have no boundaries yeah yeah so it only gets worse though like they hit a roadblock and Abrams opts to fix it old school because again anti 2.0 and Crockett talks him into trusting 2.0 and Abrams goes along with it, but he's just like, listen, like, let's hope you're right. Otherwise, you're committing a career, any mistake to film. Put it on camera. Yeah. Savage. Yeah. So, obviously, while that's going on and they're trying to fix this roadblock, like, the camera crew just gets more and more annoying because they go out to talk to the mom and Goodwin is like, no. Goodwin is like, hell no. And they're like, but this is what she signed up for. And Goodwin's like, yeah, no. Go. 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 
get out of here. I love it so much when she lays down the law. Yeah. Yeah. So they hit a complication and Crockett has to improvise. And, but like, again, the film crew being very annoying because instead of like letting him work, you know, so they have content for their documentary, they're too preoccupied trying to get the shot when, you know, they're impeding their own content. Well, that and you're in an operating room. Are you kidding me? If I'm in an operating room in the middle of a surgery, I am standing in the corner with my hands glued together. I'm not moving like at all. Yeah. Respect the space you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but like, it's interesting because like kind of towards the end of the whole thing, like Abrams kind of seems to be coming around the 2.0, which is interesting. Um. But the surgery success, of course, um, I'm going to butcher the patient's name. So I'm just going to say the patient. The patient, you know, telling his mom she's beautiful, like that whole scene, like he finally gets to really like see her. I mean, it's so, it's so precious. Yeah. Yeah. But of course, film crew is not happy. Um, You know, they're really pissed about the whole thing. And it's just like, you know, the film tells the world exactly who we are. And, you know. At one point, they're just like, yeah, Jack is a man who's not used to hearing the word no. I hate that. Like, yeah, that's icky. Yeah. But then we get this last scene, though, between Crockett and Abrams. Hell of a day, huh? Hope you're off to celebrate. You know, you're not a terrible surgeon, but you do have awful taste in heroes. Heroes? Come on, Sam. At least he's using his billions for some good, right? Oh, yeah. Confident, that's why he amassed his fortune. Point is, we can help so many more people with Jack's vision and money in our corner. Yeah, well, his vision of whom to help seems a bit more narrow than yours. What does that mean? I just found out. Dane says from now on, 2.0 is for paying customers only. Wait, what? You heard me. No more subsidized care. Well, that's true, then your fights with the insurance companies. And this is where I think we were talking about earlier, you know, about the potential for a mutiny and all that things. And I think what's going to happen is I think this whole time you were talking about how, like the fact that like one week Jack Dayton is painted, you know, as like a hero and the next he's painted as villain. I think they were able to do that because the whole time Crockett, who's the reason he was, Jack was even brought to med in the first place. Crockett was always on board with Jack. Yeah. And now Crockett's not. Well, it seems like Crockett's not going to be. So I think that'll really change the way. Like, I don't think Jack will be portrayed as a hero anymore, for lack of a better term. Well, then this this scene just kind of struck me a little odd because, you know, Abrams basically just, you know, throws a ton of bricks on Crockett. And Crockett's response is, okay, well, if that's true, your fight's with the insurance company. You cannot be that naive. Yeah. Like, really? Mm-hmm. so yeah maybe we are setting up for like a a, a jack dayton 2.0 mutiny um i feel like it has hmm. to be like i don't see wh- like why else you've got goodwin getting fed up with him you've got crockett you've got you know whoever else i mean archer is always fed up with him you know like there's just so many different angles of people getting fed up with him so i feel like that a mutiny is a strong word but like i feel like that's what they're heading that's interesting. Like I could definitely see that being kind of like a cliffhanger. It's like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, like one a potential cliffhanger for the finale of like, you know, what's going to happen to Jack. 
That's fair. I mean, if I'm playing devil's advocate, though, where where's the line, right? So Jack, I mean, Jack is fortunate. He has billions of dollars at his disposal. If he really does have good and pure intentions with that, and he wants to make the hospital a cutting edge hospital for, so that, you know, technology and science can advance, is he really the bad guy if he's, you know, trying to leverage that in a way that brings them more success? Say that again. Okay, I'm just I'm 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 trying to play devil's advocate here and just I mean because we're starting we're starting on this path of vilifying Jack and I don't know if it's completely fair because money talks, right? It's the kind of thing that yeah, he very well may have intentions to make Med the leading cutting edge hospital with these procedures that are just completely breakthrough and advance the field of medicine and all of that, right? I money talks. So really this doing this kind of stuff where it's a publicity stunt and he's flying them in to get the surgery done and everything. It's really just, he's playing the game. He's playing the game he has to play. So is he truly the bad guy that we're making him out to be? Yes. Because I think the problem with Jack though, is like, it's one thing to use your money for good. Like in a situation, like if he was just helping out this family and yes, it makes Med look good. And yes, you know, they have the technology to help out him. Great. No, but like, there's always going to be like with good deeds, you know, comes like the good publicity. Like, I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is when they let too much of like trying to make med look good interfere. Like, how can they make med look good if they're going to not be able to do the medicine correctly? Mm, and I think I the fact that they're letting the technology and the publicity and stuff interfere with what is actually the first goal, which is to do the medicine, I mm-hmm. think that's why Jack is becoming a problem and why people aren't liking him. Because, like, nobody has a problem with even them, like, doing the film. I mean, yeah, it's not their favorite thing, but, like, you know, it's only when the film starts interfering with them doing the medicine that they're having the issue. Right. So I think it's more of a that issue, not actually them just, you know, his p- wanting to get, you know, good publicity for med. That's the issue. Yeah, I mean, Meta sparked a lot of interesting conversations this season, for well, sure. Well, you know, kind of going off of that, it's why, like, when Goodwin's talking to, what's the new board guy's name? George. Okay, yeah. When she's talking to him, you know, she even says, she, like, points out the fact, she's like, well, you're a doctor, like, don't you see, you know, blah, 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 you know, I forget exactly what her line is. But she's, like, even trying to emphasize him that, like, you should see where we're coming from, like, you're a doctor, too. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, well, yeah, but blah, 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 you know. Right. So, I don't know. It'll definitely be interesting to see where they go, you know, especially now that we're kind of heading towards the last, you know, we've how many episodes? Each? We've five episodes left. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of where we're, I feel like it may not be the exact storylines, but like we're definitely narrowing our field of like what the finale is going to look like. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, Sean Archer death trope plus 2.0 overthrown. Yeah. <laughs> and then I don't know what else, but we'll see. We will see. But um, a lot of interesting stuff this week. So, yeah. Well, one listener thought on this. Um, Heather B said, There's nobody like Abrams who can just come in and take the wind out of someone's sails. In this case, I think Crockett needed to see it, though. I, I do agree yeah. with that. Um, Dayton and she says Dayton using is it Quan Yu is that how you yeah. say it 
Yeah. Um. Basically, as a publicity, so, basically as publicity, so that he could draw people into the newly privatized 2.0 is gross, and I'm glad Crockett has finally caught on to the show, or to on to show how shady Dayton is. Yeah. Okay. I think I think if that rumor is true that he is like privatizing 2.0, I think then then Dayton's definitely leaning into villain territory. Yeah. Um, but Abrams wouldn't have said that if it wasn't true. So yeah. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Food for thought. Mm-hmm. Food for thought. Med's getting crazy. Again, I love this episode though. And Brian did, I, you know, we haven't really talked. I, I thought Brian did a really good job with this episode. I love this episode. Brian did great. Yeah. And I'm not just really saying great. that because of Hannah and Archer vibes. I really did enjoy <laughs> this episode. It was really good. Really, really good. So any other notes on med? No, that's it. Okay, we don't usually stretch it before fire, but I feel like we need to this week. Yeah. I feel like we need to. And then we're going to have to stretch it again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're not pulling any muscles talking about one Chicago. No. <laughs> so moving into fire. This was such an emotional episode. Oh, my God. I like this episode, though. I did, too. I did, too. Um, minus one or two things. But, yes, I liked it, too. So. Cindy and Herman. Cindy and Herman. Okay, so Cindy's pissed, and rightfully so. Okay, so mm-hmm. Cindy's supposed to have her appointment to find out, you know, did the chemo work? Is she gonna have to go through chemo again? They rescheduled it, and not by like time. They rescheduled it by four days. Yeah. Like the audacity. Do these doctor's offices not think about like the fact that you're delivering potentially life-changing news to these people and postponing it is devastating? It happens, though, all the time. That's fucked. I mean, but the thing is, is, like, you know, they can't necessarily, I mean, sometimes they can't control it, and that's the part where it really sucks. But, like, you know, if they have an emergency or something, like, they, yes, it affects you, but it also, like, they can't just, you know, emergencies happen. They're humans, too. Like, emergencies happen to them, too. Oh, I felt for her because I'd, I'd be irate, too. And that's four more days of, like, not sleeping, you know, barely being able to eat, anxiety, all of that. Yeah. I feel, yeah. So it, it's the appointment. So Herman is, Herman's rattled, too, but he won't show it. He's just the best husband. And, you know, he's just, you know. He's the best. He is the best. Goals. Like, goals. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and he just reassures her. He's like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. We're going to wait. It's going to be good. So at Molly's after shift, Herman just kind of mentions to Stella, he's like, I feel really guilty because I came to work to avoid Cindy. And that's fucked. And so Stella's like, no, it just means you need a break. But if you need to go home, go home. And so he goes home to find Cindy surrounded by all of the kids. Mm. They're like watching a movie together and she's braiding Annabelle's hair. I know this scene made me cry. I know so sweet oh my god it's so so sweet so the next shift Herman goes to Bowdoin because he just he needs he needs to talk to his friend we get this and I'm on the same roller coaster I was a few days ago and all I can think is if if it's bad news then we'll make it You've got to do your best to push those thoughts right out of your head. Is your appointment tomorrow? Hey. Yeah. 9 a.m. Right. Hey. 
You know who's been gone and check in regular? Matt Casey. That's good to hear. And I am not surprised. I heard Sydney talking to him again yesterday. I can really cheer her up. I think she's always had a little crush on him, to be honest. <laughs> the last two days, she, uh, she's been holding it together pretty good. And now it's me that's losing it. It's just that if the chemo didn't work, there is not a lot of other options. desperation in his voice when he's like it can be a little bit fine right yeah well, my favorite thing about this moment though and why like herman and Bowden are such an underrated pro tv is that Bowden, Bowden, there's nothing that Bowden can say really that's gonna make herman feel any better but mm-hmm. Bowden just lets herman ramble on as much as he needs and he's like mm-hmm. yeah okay yes i agree you know like he's just letting him say whatever herman needs to say mm-hmm. and i love that yeah absolutely and herman feels safe enough to do that like he you know he yeah. says at one point he's like if it's not good news i won't make it yeah and Bowden knows he's not like serious serious but he knows that you know herman's herman's in a bad spot and it has the potential to only get worse right right yeah. and he hears him out so it's just yeah I, I'm glad that Herman has a, has a space and a person where he can be vulnerable when he needs to be. Yes. Because, you know, um, keeping it together for Hindi, or Hindi, 20, keeping it together for Cindy 24 seven has got to be really hard. That's what I meant to say. My brain got ahead of my mouth. Yeah. Also, obviously important to note in this scene, Herman kind of sets up a little bit, I think, of next week's episode. Mm, maybe i don't know because he mentions the fact that he's like you know who's been calling he's like casey he's like yeah i heard her and cindy actually talking yesterday too you know like he mentions the fact that like casey's regularly checking in on them which i really just even if casey wasn't coming back like even if jesse we knew jesse wasn't coming back next week even if they had just thrown in that line anyway i would have really appreciated that it's so it, it's so beautiful too because it's a full circle moment. Because mm-hmm. remember when Casey's apartment burned down and Cindy came in with all the Walmart bags and like she got him stuff after the apartment burned down. He's just returning the favor. But even if it's beyond that, like even if she had never done that or whatever, like mm-hmm. it's just nice to know that like yeah, he may not be there all the time, and obviously he doesn't live there anymore. But like he's still checking in. Like he knows that obviously Herman's going through a rough spot. So like you know let me be there for them. And also another full circle moment is obviously when Casey was really trying to decide whether he was going to go to Oregon or not. He and Herman had a conversation. Yeah. You know, so and Herman was the one that he really was like, I don't know what to do. And he confided in Herman. So it kind of 
goes on both sides. But I just, and I don't know whether, I don't think they're really going to set up next week's episode, but like, I think they threw it in obviously because Jesse's coming back next week. I appreciated it either way. Yeah. yeah. It's a good detail. And I would expect nothing less of Matt. Yeah. So really just a little detail. Yeah, for sure. So Herman gets home and Cindy is pissed because her appointment got moved again. It was supposed to be at 9 a.m. Instead, it's at 4 p.m. She's like, no, fuck that. We're, uh, no, just no. And so she goes straight down the office. She goes right past the receptionist, right into the doctor's office. Yes, queen. Yes, queen. So he didn't know that her appointment had already been moved, but he he gives her he gives her a reason why they get moved to the afternoon, which I find to be complete bullshit. Just saying. That's not actually how it happened. I mean, granted, I've never worked in an oncology office. So I, you know, I don't know that to be true. It, I, in my experience, having worked in an orthopedic setting and having a dad who used to be an orthopedic surgeon, that's bullshit. It does not happen that way. Again, I don't know about oncology, but in almost any other office, it doesn't happen like that. Like, I'm happy for the doctor that he gets to deliver good news, but like, that's great that you want to leave it for the afternoon, but you're not the one with the cancer in your lungs. Yeah. I feel like Cindy's need to know kind of outweighs that. Yeah. Like I said, it's just, yeah. But it all works out because Cindy Herman is cancer free. The best news. I was really honestly worried there for a couple episodes. Like, I really didn't know which way they were going to go. I know. And I'm so grateful that this is how it ended up. She's cancer-free, y'all. It's the best news. Oh, my God. So happy. And, I mean, obviously, she's still going to have to do scans and yada, yada, you know. But, like, for right now, we're taking the win. Is this the end of this story, though? I think for now. Like, I don't think, I don't think if you're saying like by the finale that her cancer's back, no, because that would seem, you know, there's not enough time has passed, but I could definitely see them in like a season or two being like, oh, Cindy had a scare, you know, they thought maybe something came up on a scan and then, you know, I could see them doing something like that. But I think Mm -hmm. for now, this chapter is done. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. She's cancer free. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy for her. Yay. So Brooke said, thank God they did write by Cindy Herman. I'm so curious to know if that was always the plan or if they changed it when they had to do rewrites for Taylor. I don't care. I'm happy and I love it. No more bad things to Cindy Herman. No more bad things to Cindy Herman. Yeah. Yeah. Bubble wrap that woman. Yeah. Um, Heather B said, Casey in all caps, Casey calls Cindy regularly and Cindy is cancer free. I still feel like the other shoe is about to drop, but how blessed we were with this episode. Just so extremely blessed. See, and that's, I, that's what I worry about too, is that the other shoe is going to drop. Well, we're taking the win. I don't care. We're taking the win. We're just, okay. Okay. One moment at a time. We're just going to take this win. You can't think. Yeah. We're taking the win. Got it. It was a great weekend in Chicago. We're taking the win. As Archer said, message received. Yeah, we're taking yep. the win. Yep. I like it. So, yeah. So then we've also got Cruz and Bamford and Stella. Bryna, go for it. All right. So speaking of kids who just seem to all of a sudden make us feel really old, 
Javi, we get Javi and Cruz that this part starts with Javi and Cruz. And like, I feel like even though we didn't see Javi that long ago, I feel like he's aged like 20 years. He's like a full grown teenager now. Yeah. He got so big in just a couple months. Wasn't he, he like 10? What he's still 10. I mean, we literally just saw him. What was that? The mid-season finale when they adopt him? 10 year olds have growth spurts, right? Yeah. It's plausible. But he just, he got so big. I know. And I was like, holy crap. He looks like a teenager. Yeah. So Javi has another uh, game. He's playing hockey and basketball a lot um, and asks Cruz if he's coming. But Cruz can't go because of work. Obviously, he's got a lot going on now that he's acting lieutenant. And Javi's just so sad. And like Cruz feels so bad because he feels like he's letting Javi down. But like he, you know. He's got to do what he's got to do. There are some things that just never get old in one Chicago and Cruz being a happily married boy dad of two is one of those. He makes a reference. He called like when he's he and Javi are leaving. He's like, your mom's going to kill me if I'm late. If I, you know, drop you off late or whatever he says. And I was like, oh my God. Yes. Like Chloe being referred to as like Javi's mom. I was like, yes, I love him so much. God, I love it. I love it so much. So. We cut to 51 and Stella goes into Bowden's office and she's talking about, you know, how well her visit went with Severide in Alabama. And she's like, but he's going to be in Alabama for another month and a half. All right. Lots of talk on the internet about what this line means. Yep. And I think it's really important to note that, yes, they put some sort of time frame on it. One a month and a half on the show could technically be like 10 episodes. It could. it could be, it could be, you know, a lot, it could be a really long time. And I think it's important to note that just because they said that, we still have no official word on what that means for Taylor's return to the show. Like as of right now, we don't know when he's coming back or even if he's coming back. And I think it's just really important to note that, like, you know, we just regardless of what this says, like we hope Taylor's okay first and foremost. And if it takes him another 20 episodes to come back, it takes him another year and a half to come back. Like we will be ready for him when he wants to come back. Yes. And like, just because they say it's another month and a half, I really don't think that it's going to be in a, I don't think he's coming back at all this season. Yeah, I would be it- very surprised unless it's like a one scene at the end of the finale type thing. I thought it was interesting that they said specifically a month and a half because we have a tentative date on the season finale. We don't know. It hasn't been confirmed yet, but we think it's going to be May 24th, which I mean, that's technically two months, but you know, if you subtract a week, it's about a month and a half. So I thought that was an interesting soundbite. I just think though, like I said, it's interesting because like you have obviously time on the show runs differently than time in real life. But everyone's like, oh, that means he's coming back episode 20, you know, episode. And I'm like, we don't know that for sure. Right. Like, they say that. And, like, it could be, like, a, you know, they said Jay was going to be gone for eight months. And, like, you know, which, granted, we haven't hit eight months yet. But still, I, you know, they just say, you know, we don't know. Right. And it's important, you know, first and foremost, Taylor's health is the most important. But. Yeah, we don't know. It is not confirmed that he's officially coming back this season or, you know, even that he's coming back. We don't know yet. We don't know. So important for, you know, I think that kind of got lost on the interwebs last night. 
I think they're just trying to, you know, they're they're trying to keep hope, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Except for I can't stay in Alabama forever. Not with a wife at home. No, but like, you know, he can't stay at this training for forever. So like, I think they were just saying like, yeah, he'll be back when training's done. Mm-hmm. And that's fair. Um, and she even says, Stella says, he's like, he's excited to come back to 51. Um, so. Yeah. Okay. So that's our little celebrity update. Mm-hmm. So they go on this call to a fire at a blood bank, you know, whatever. And so they come back and we've got Bamford making his little, you know, cringy puns again. Like he's like, oh, that was a bloodbath back there. And I was just like, cringe. This is so bad. Like, why are I, we? I thought his jokes last week were funny. This week I was like, shut up, dude. But even like Tony and Cap were just like, mm, what are you? Mm-hmm. No, this mm-hmm. is not. No. And then, like, so Cruz is sitting at the squad table, and you've got, like, the conversation between Bamford and Cap and Tony in the background. And Bamford makes this comment about, like, he says, oh, Cruz tried to sideline me back there, but I still pulled off the save. Bro! If you're gonna badmouth your captain, you want to do it when he's out of earshot. Even beyond that, like, bro, who do you think you are? Exactly. He did not sideline you. No, he didn't. He just said he wanted you on his hip, which you should know means that since you're new, Cruz wants to get used to the way you work. And you're a floater. What do you, like, have any? You don't get to talk like that as a floater. No, no, no. I like that we know more about firefighter culture than Bamford does in this moment. (laughs) yeah and like the look on Cruz's face like he's just like so like hurt perplexed like he's feeling all these things and it's but like bro Bamford Cruz is hard on himself yeah yeah so Cruz goes to Bowden and he's just like listen I don't think Bamford's working out like can we please have a new floater and Bowden's like well he was technically detailed here so like unless you want to write Bamford up like we can't make that happen but like Cruz, Cruz doesn't want him to have like a blemish on his record. Like at this point, there's nothing he's really done wrong. He's just not fitting in with 51. You're too so nice, Cruz, Cruz. Yeah. But like, I mean, but it's true. Like, I don't think I would want to write someone up for just, you know, not fitting in. But mm-hmm. anyway, so Cruz goes to Stella for some more advice. And, you know, she recommends basically that he try to dig a little deeper with Bamford, kind of like what she did with Carver um so Cruz is like okay I'll invite him out to Molly's again they just went to Molly's but okay for another drink and all Cruz really finds out at this moment is like Bamford has an ex-wife two daughters he really cares about his daughters but you know that's kind of really all we get yep so after they get drinks you know Cruz is like you know what I'm gonna give Bamford another chance he's like I you know I think I found something out whatever and Cruz and Cruz is talking about this with Stella and she's like, you know, he says to her, he's like, I don't know how you juggle, you know, everything you do as a lieutenant. And she's like, well, I don't have to deal with the kids part yet. The internet and exploded. Like, yeah. Because like she, the way she pauses, she's like, well, I don't have to deal with the kids part. And then she's like, pauses. And she's like, yeah. So you've had the kid conversation. And you're having kids. Okay. All right. All right. So, yeah, I thought that was, and it's really interesting, like, you didn't have to throw that in at all. Like, I I think the stuff that they've thrown in about Stellaride this week was really interesting, because it feels all very conveniently placed. Like, they didn't just throw that in for nothing. 
No, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, with the, when she said, yeah, I was like, okay, we're still, we're really trying to plant these seeds of hope that, you know, Kelly's coming back. Don't worry. Well, the thing is the internet took it as like, oh, well, like maybe we're going to get a baby storyline in, you know, season 12. And I'm like, we've got to get Taylor back first. Yeah. Like we can't, they're not thinking about Stellaride baby really that hard. Like they're more, we're, I mean, they may know, obviously they probably know more than we do, but like Let's get Taylor back first, like get him reacquainted, like make sure he's okay. And then we could talk about the potential of Stellaride having a baby. Well, yeah, we're not then, there I mean, yet. There were theories going around that because you know Stella had gone to see Kelly in Alabama the previous weekend. There are theories going around that she's gonna end up pregnant in the next couple of weeks. But then what are you gonna do if Taylor doesn't come back? You're gonna make her be a single mom? I don't want that. Like, I don't, even if she's not a single mom, like even if Severide just is like staying down in Alabama for more arson training or whatever the case may be. Like, I don't want, if we're going to have Severide have a baby, I want it to be both of them there. Yeah. Like, even if you just have Severide and her still married and Severide's off somewhere off screen, like, I don't want that either. No. Like, I want them both there going through that storyline. So like yes. to me, I don't want it if Taylor's even just off screen or if Severide's just like existing off screen and they're still married. Like, I don't want it. And I realize the reason the show handles pregnancies the way they do, AKA like horribly, I realize that they handle it that way because this is a physical job they do. And if they're pregnant, they're basically sidelined for nine months. I get it. But given the show's track record for pregnancies, don't do that to Stella. Don't do it to her. No, and I think Stella would be the most interesting about, like, trying to navigate that, you know, because obviously we saw how rough it was for her trying to navigate, like, you know, her wanting to figure out whether she wanted to become a lieutenant, then Mm -hmm. becoming a lieutenant, so I think it would be really interesting to see her trying to navigate, you know, because I think there's still, you can do a little bit, you know, while you're pregnant, but like, probably not that much. So like, you know, do I want to become, and I hope that like, we get to see that, like, do I want to get pregnant now when I just became a Lieutenant, you know, blah, blah, like all those things. Yeah. Um, I think Stella's the right character for them to actually go through with a pregnancy, but, but not now. Yeah. Not wait now. till Severide comes, wait till Taylor's back, please. Absolutely. So, yeah. so Cruz decides to buy squad some lunch, you know, for a little bonding time, whatever. My favorite thing is though, like Cap has this one little line and he's like, how'd you find out where the, um, you know, guy is? He's like, I took to Twitter and I still couldn't find it or whatever. And I'm like, Cap would be on Twitter. Cap would. Yeah. Cap would be on Twitter. He absolutely would. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but yeah, so, and, like, while they're having this little bonding time, like, they overhear Herman talking to Cindy. And Bamford makes the worst comment of all time. Like, regardless of whether she's sick, it's right. horrible. He says, boy, she really got you whipped, doesn't she? She keeps a tight leash. I saw how she had you running out of Molly's the other night. It's not your fault. The relationship between a husband and a wife is psychological. One's psycho, the other one's logical. Sounds to me like you got a real psycho there. Like Cruz should have just let him punch Bamford. Yeah. But like, like you said, regardless of whether he knew anything about Cindy, whether she knew she was sick, like if he was talking about any other woman and like, no, like, no, 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 no. you don't say any, no, no. Especially not to somebody you don't know that well. Yeah. But even if you knew someone that well, like, no, no, 
You don't talk about people like this. And Herman is pissed. Like you said, like, I just wish he had just decked Bamford. Like, Bruce should have just let him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where we're at with that. Um, and after shift, Cruz lets Bamford know that he's just that it ain't the right fit. He's like, yeah, no. And Bamford's like sad, but Cruz is like, he just no, no. And Cruz does not have to be this nice. Cruz could quite literally be like GTFO, yeah. but Cruz handles it the way Cruz does. Yeah. And like Bamford, of course, is pissed. Like, I mean, I, you know, if I got fired, I would, I would be pissed too. But Stella's so proud of Cruz and we get this little conversation. Didn't work out, huh? Uh, I knew him I got the whole time. I should have listened to it earlier. I don't think I'm cut out for this lieutenant thing. I was going to say the opposite. Watching you figure this one out, do your due diligence. I've got bad news. You've got leadership all over you. Cruz and Stella working together is the best duo I never knew I needed. It's so good. It works so well. So well. You know what gave me a little bit of a buzz? And I mean buzz just in a good way, not a shippy way, because you can have multiple buzzes in different ways. Yes. When they got to the call and they were both strategizing and like talking together, I was like, hell yeah. Like, yes, I yeah. love this. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Because these are two people who we have seen work their way from the ground up in the CFD. Mm -hmm. I love it. Yeah. It's just, and it, they're just dynamic. It's one we, like you said, we haven't really seen a ton of before this storyline, but it works so well. And I just, I really have enjoyed it. That's why if God forbid Taylor does not come back, Cruz is the only option to lead squad three. Yes. The yes. only option. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we had some listener thoughts on this. Um, Brooke said, Stella saying yet to the kids thing is everything I ever wanted. Um, she goes on to say, I think Stella telling Bowden that Kelly won't be back for a month and a half was Derek letting us know that Taylor isn't back this season. And if he is, it'll be no sooner than the finale. I didn't expect it earlier, but I'm glad they could kind of tell us without truly telling us. However, I think this also made... I think this may also solidify that even if Taylor never comes back, they could very well have Stella be married off screen because Kelly's just over at Arson. And then he shows up every once in a while like Casey. I would be okay with this. I'd also be very upset though, because it would show that they it would show that they could have done the same thing with Upstead. Yeah. Yeah, you can't do that for very long. Yeah. I think and obviously we don't know what's gonna happen, but like I do think if Taylor doesn't come back, I think they definitely set it up in a way that you could just say like oh yeah, Kelly's moved to arson. And like, that's not the worst scenario. And it's like actually a very plausible. And like, we're not going to be like, what the fuck? Where did that come from? If it happens. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I won't be thrilled, but like- oh, I mean, we're never going to be thrilled when any of these characters leave. No, that's true. That's you know, true. but like, if we're taking, if we're comparing it to like a J scenario, I would take Kelly going to arson and still just, like, existing off screen and in Chicago and, like, seeing his friends all day, every day. Look, I don't really ask for much, but if Jay could just answer the damn phone, I'd be cool with that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. If we have to pick, like, out of a worst-case scenario, if Taylor really doesn't come back, how do we want him not, you know, being around all the time? I would take Kelly being at Arson 100 times out of 100. Right. Right. So... We shall see. Yeah. 
Um, let's see. Heather B said, I like this dynamic between Cruz and Stella as lieutenants. I feel like we've always seen Stella going to Kelly for advice, and now she's putting that into action and passing it on to Cruz. I also thought it was interesting to see how Cruz compared Bamford to Carver since one got the boot and the other got welcomed in. And I started thinking about what made the difference. And I think that it's that at the end of the day, Carver was mostly hurting himself when he was an asshole and not really hurting others. He may have rubbed them the wrong way, but he wasn't purposely bullying them. I did like when that when Bamford was called 51 high maintenance, Carver agreed, but it sounded fawn rather than annoyed, which is a big change from earlier in the season. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really interesting comparison, but yeah, I think that's definitely it. Like, Harver was more just being pissy for no reason. Well, a pissy for him, but, like, he wasn't, like you said, bullying anyone. Yeah. Bamford yeah. thought he was being funny and, like, making friends when really all he was doing was bullying people. Good. Yeah. Yep. So, next up. Ready? Ready? We got, no, this hold is- on. We still got listener comments. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, there's still two more listener comments. Oh, no, I uh, knew that. I knew that. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Um, Let's see. Amy said, I really enjoyed the Stella Joe friendship, Um, something we haven't seen since his wedding episode, Um, but I'm really stuck on Stella's comment. I don't have to worry about kids yet. Then Joe's look. I don't really think they're doing a Stella pregnant in season 12 story as then she couldn't be on truck. They're casting babies for the next episode. Are we getting a talking, planning, trying for Stella ride baby? Thoughts? No. She's not going to talk about a Stellarite baby with Matt. No. God, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, no. I, I like I said, I, we got to handle the Taylor situation first before mm-hmm. I think they're, I think they're just setting, laying the groundwork for like, you know, it was a comment. I don't think they're going any there anytime soon, but. Yeah. Yeah. And then Waka said, you can never, ever talk about someone's spouse like that. Just no way. But the fact he doesn't even know Herman that well and has no idea about the situation makes me even more angry. I was just hoping for a second that Cruz would let Herman do his thing and beat the guy. But I guess that would have been the last straw for HQ to the Cruz's acting lieutenant situation. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Should have just let him. Yeah. Is that the last we see of Bamford? And like, what? so does squad just run with three now? I don't know. I think they'll have to get someone else, but like, I don't know when that's happening or who what it'll be. They borrow Gallo. But then truck, truck can't run a three-man truck. I know. So, I don't know. I don't know. Lots of questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So next up, just want to make sure you're ready because I'm about to say it. Oh, I know. I'm ready. Okay. Next up, we've got Violet. Hawkins for life. Brett and Carver. Yep. That was good for our first try. I would give that a high execution score. Yeah. We were waiting for it. I think it's going to get hard in like, you know, five months from now when we're like, oh my God, really? Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So our girl, not calling her by name because we just said it. So, um, she sees Carver coming into shift with a new truck. And so, you know, she comments on it and Carver is like, yeah, a truck's a lot easier when you're doing construction, which, you know, again, we know is not the entire truth. No. Yeah. I mean, it's partly the truth, but not the entire truth. Yeah. 
So 61 gets called out to a house where this husband seems to be having some weird symptoms. He's having some sort of psychotic break. He hasn't really done anything out of the ordinary. The wife's just like, no, he had a headache. He took some meds and now some weird things are happening. He ate some oatmeal. Like, yeah, his symptoms just don't add up. And so they're like, okay, well, we're going to go to med because that's weird. So after shift, Violet and Brett. Hawkins for life. (laughs) they're still trying to figure out what was wrong with their patient from earlier but they don't really have anything so our girl she runs into a neighbor and he mentions getting some remodeling done in his apartment and she gets an idea so she's like oh hey i know somebody so they drop off another patient at med later and will gets a patient brought in who had really similar symptoms to their patient from earlier in the episode also hi will hi fave I will. Um, yeah, we were hashtag blessed in this episode because we got Will and Haley. Yeah, it was like a little crossover. Like an old school crossover. It felt so nice. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they mentioned it to Will. They're like, yeah, there was, you know, another paramedic had mentioned that that was their second sim- patient with the same symptoms. Um, it was kind of weird. And so Will was like, okay, well, this is like a multiple exposure scenario. Something weird is going on. This whole scene reminded me of the infection crossover because there is that scene where like they come into the ED and, you know, they're like, oh, well, we just had this case in the part or, you know, the um like other uh, paramedics are like, well, we had apartment 12. We had like they have like a very similar scene like that in the infection crossover. And then it just makes me sad because we haven't had a crossover since then. And I'm just like, what do we have to do for a three show crossover? FBI, FBI is about is to do one. Yeah. They're doing a big one this coming week. Oh, is it this week? Uh, it's Tuesday. So if, yeah, it's like Tuesday the 4th. No shit. I'm like, I'm so behind on international, but I still think I probably will. Wa- I, I, I probably won't watch on Tuesday, but I will watch. But also, okay. These three shows, they take place in like three different locations, right? Like regular FBI is New York. Most wanted skips around international is in freaking Europe. And they're making this happen to the point. I think Jubal is going to Hungary. Yeah, I saw that somebody said Jubal and someone else. I don't remember who because I'm not great with FBI characters, but. All three Chicago's take place in the same place. I'm just saying. Yeah. And I hope that like once, I I think part of it probably had to do with like a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that went down this season. And I'm hoping that next year we can get a crossover, like a true crossover. I feel like one Chicago is like, we're like siblings to FBI and law and order, right? Like law and order, FBI and Chicago, we're all siblings. And so they all exist in the same world. They all exist in the same world. And so, and, and again, I grew up as an only, so I don't really know what it's like to have siblings, but it's gotta be something like this where when law and order or FBI gets something cool, I'm like, Hey, what about us? Yeah. Yeah. And it was like the first, you know, like in the like true, you know, seasons, I'm thinking about my like seasons. I'm like fire season nine and fire season 10 so like really in the height of the pandemic mm-hmm. it was like okay well it's the pandemic like we're not getting one okay fine but like now that we're starting to see you know even the ncis's did a crossover and like fbi's and i'm like okay it's fine like everyone can do a crossover now so like why aren't we getting one the way you said it's fine like it's fine Ugh. it's fine it's fine I just, like, it's a staple of this world that i'm really missing and like I don't know when we get one. Like, I think it'll be weird too to think about the fact that like Derek has had a hand in all of them. And like Derek, you know, if they do one next year, like Derek won't have a hand in it. And like that's really weird to me. Yeah. To think about. 
Um, but yeah, I just miss it. Like, and in fact, and especially because the last one we got was so good. Like yeah. better than any, uh, just like pretty much any other crossover I've ever seen on any show. And it's just like, that was so good. And I'm just like, I want another one so bad. And also so ahead of its time in a very creepy way. Yeah, like very, and it wasn't even like that ahead of its time, but it was like eerily predicting the future, like four or five months from now. Like it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Those were the days, man. We didn't know how good we had it. Oh man, 2019. <laughs> we really had, like, that was really the last hurrah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, multiple exposure scenario, all that. Okay, so they get back to 51 and tells Carver that she got him a construction gig. (laughs) I'm trying to be careful so you don't have to say it 15 times. It's fun. As Jimmy said, even if I just say it once or if you say it once, it's still like it gets the point across. I'm too much of a perfectionist for this shit. You're like, (laughs) I have to do it every single time her name is mentioned. Yes, I'm too much of a perfectionist for this. Okay. Yeah. So she tells Carver that she got him a construction gig. He doesn't really say much about it, but 61 gets called out again. This time it's not the husband, it's the wife. Yeah. So she's having the same symptoms as her husband. They drop her off at med. They still have no clue what's going on. So they go back to the house and Brett's like, okay, well, both of this, it started with a headache for both of you. So she gets the bottle and she noticed that someone messed with the seal on the medicine. You guys, Chicago Fire, please stop unlocking new fears every week. We've got to live our lives, okay? Like, stop it. Am I crazy? I mean, did you ever know about the Tylenol murders of 82? I feel like I've heard of it, but not, like, in depth. I mean. I've and- literally never heard of that in my entire life. Somebody legit just injected bottles of Tylenol and I don't cyanide. Wanna, I don't want to Google it because I just don't. But yeah, I don't want to Google it, but I do want to find a good true crime podcast about it. Or a documentary. Yeah. Or a documentary. Yeah. I'm sure it exists. Now I kind of want to Google that to see what comes up. (laughs) But in in my head, I kind of brushed it off. I was just like, oh, somebody messed with Tylenol in 82. And then when Brett referenced it later, I just let it sink in. And I was like, Tylenol murders. Someone legit like killed people by tampering with these bottles. Unseal the Tylenol Murders podcast by the Chicago Tribune. I love you for researching that. I think there's a documentary too. I literally, hey, you type in Tylenol Murders and like one of the first things that comes up is podcasts. So. I love that you Googled that and I love that you found it so quickly. And I'm just going to pull that up and bookmark it, bookmark it now. And I'll probably just listen to it tomorrow. And there, oh, in 2022, so very recently, there was a documentary on it you know the Tylenol murders well I know what I'm doing next or this coming weekend so yes there's like seven episodes eight episodes that's not bad at all no I mean yeah obviously they can't do 20 you know 20 million but all right I've hit follow I will listen to this tomorrow and report back with my findings yes next week that's your homework Gina that's my homework yeah um but yeah, I would just, okay. But the fact that like somebody tampered with these bottles, I'm like, great. I'm definitely going to tough out my next headache. Thanks. Thank you for that. I am not even that. I'm just like, I have a new fear unlocked about like going to buy like over the counter medicine. Yeah. 
Yeah. I'm just like, I granted, I, but like still, I'm like, I would. The way that I'm going to like be searching the, 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 like the, the cap on every pain pill bottle I buy now, like I'm going to have a magnifying glass and just be like, is that a break? Is that a pin? Like, yeah. Yeah. Just Chicago fire giving us one anxiety at a time. Mm-hmm. I wonder what they'll make us be afraid of next week. Yeah. When it's like, the funny part is, it's like, it's normally not fire. It's usually like med where we get these fears and it's like, okay, this week it was fire. Okay. That's a little change of pace, but like, yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. So Bowden gets off the phone with Voight and they've pinpointed the store that it came from. They got the security footage and yeah, it's very similar to the Tylenol murders of 82. Yeah. And Brett's like, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. And I'm like. That's terrifying. Yeah. The internet also kind of filled in the gaps there because, you know, our, our listeners span different ages. And so uh, some of our listeners are saying that's the reason they have cotton, or like cotton inside the bottles now. Because when, like when it injects, it only hits like the top pills. My mind is blown. I know. Isn't that bananas? That's wild. I never would have thought about that. But then also, I mean, there's there's a legal aspect to this too that, I mean, there's a way that, the 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 companies like the pill companies they can get blamed for this and they can get sued for negligence well, and so yeah. that's that's a result of yeah for sure that's mind blowing and terrifying mm-hmm. oh my god so Brent and Violet go to the twenty first they meet with Haley the guy bought all the bottles he took them home and he put them back on the shelf they had traces of LSD and cyanide on them what that's crazy that's terrifying. Also, hi, Haley. Hi, Haley. Hey, it's girl, like, hi. if only Haley and Will could have interacted. It's like, we got Will and we got Haley, but no interaction between them. I feel like they're doing, they're doing to Haley's hands what they do when a character is pregnant. They're hiding them. Because every week I look for the ring. Every single week. And I could not get a good shot of her hands this week. It's like, I feel like I see it more in behind the scenes photos. And that's like, okay, yeah, she's still wearing it. Like, it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like they're doing to her what they do to pregnant characters. I'm like, no, don't stop hiding her hand. Let me see it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. New fear unlocked. It's cool. Fine. Mm-hmm. Totally fine. Yeah. So got some listener thoughts here. Sibby uh, said, I'm loving that Ambo 61 had an exciting call this episode. More of this, please. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I like how it was actually like a call that like was a storyline and not just like a one-off call that like, you literally never do anything with ever again. Did you catch when Boat hung up the phone? He was like, Voight said good work. And I'm like, Sylvian, Sylvian Violet Voight? for intelligence. Yeah. I'd be here for yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Brooke said, New fear unlocked for the pills. Normally it's med, but Fire said, hold my beer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she also said, I really enjoyed the cameos, little mini crossover within this episode. I didn't realize it until last week, but there isn't a lot connecting the shows anymore. No more siblings across shows or romances. I hope the cameos and crossovers pick up a lot more next season now that COVID is more of a daily part of daily living. Yeah. You know what dawned on me last week and like the gap between episodes? They totally missed an opportunity. After the Devin interview, I just had this like epiphany. They completely missed the opportunity to make Kai and Violet siblings. Like, how awesome would that have been? I would. I'm trying to think if Violet's ever mentioned, like, does she have siblings? Or, like, has she said that she's an only? 
I don't think she's ever mentioned it. That would have been interesting. They could have even passed them off as twins. I don't know about that, but how awesome would that have been? I don't know if I'd go so far as to say twins, but well, I mean fraternal, of course. Or they but could like, have even just said like cousin. Like you don't have to make everyone brother and sister, but like cousins. I mean, like you could, you know, there's a lot of different things, you know, they could have done. We but, are long overdue for another sibling duo in one Chicago. Or just someone that's like actually family. Because you literally just well, you got rid of Jay and Will, and then obviously when you got rid of um Dylan, you got rid of Dylan and um Zora. Zora. So yeah. Oh man, can someone write that fic in the white space where like Kevin and Zora hook up? Wouldn't that have been great? That we almost we had it all. It and you know. Yeah. We could have had it all. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Oh, I'm up, Heather- sorry. Okay. Um, yeah, so you read Brooks, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Heather B said, okay, the true crime junkie and history buff in me was geeking out a bit when the woman mentioned taking something for a headache because I knew exactly where the story was headed after. I can't remember if she ever mentioned doing so, but Sylvie definitely listens to true crime podcasts. I'm calling it now. Yeah, I, I think I think Sylvie definitely listens to true crime podcasts. Now that now that you say it, I'm like, oh yeah, she absolutely does. Uh, yes, 100%. Do you know any true crime podcast? Do you think she has a favorite one? Do you know any of I them? I don't listen to, I mean, I'm like, I know of the big ones. So like, I'm sure she's listened to those, but I don't listen to them. So I don't She know definitely anything. loves my favorite murder. If you say so. She definitely loves that. But because I'm, I'm thinking of the ones that I listen to and I, I've, I've listened to my favorite murder. I don't really go back to it. Lately, I've gone back to Sword and Scale, but you've got to be really careful with Sword and Scale because it gets really, really dark. But again, if you say so, I don't listen to them. So yeah, yeah. So I usually like the, the serialized ones that like, you know, if NBC puts one out about a specific crime, like the, that Tylenol one. I usually like those. Those are really good. But yeah, she absolutely listens to true crime podcasts. Okay. So Heather said, I'm calling it now. Also, I've wanted Haley, Sylvie, and Violet to get together for a Broken Hearts wine and cry night since episodes three. And I'm just going to imagine that's what happened after they left the district in the white space. I love that so much. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. And maybe they just rotate whose house to cry at each week. That would be amazing. Oh, man. Uh, and then Heather said, maybe I'm confused, but isn't Carver's new truck probably worth about as much as his Bronco? Maybe even more. Why isn't he driving a rusty clunker from the 70s? Like I said last time, I wouldn't hate Violet and Carver together, but this felt strange, I guess. If they're going to have Violet hit one last bump in her grief it's arc, she... <laughs> well done, where she gets closer to Carver without realizing why until she has the big, oh shit, I have feelings for him epiphany and has to come to terms with the fact that she will eventually find love outside of Evan. I think this could be interesting, but there are still other ways it could go that I hope we don't see, like her constantly trying to save Carver and make him a project. I don't think that would be good for either of them. I said it last week. I'm going to say it again, just like the TikTok sound. We are not rehabs for broken men. I'm not here for it. I don't like it. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. I don't know what else to say, but yeah. I feel like that's going to be a completely one-sided relationship where Violet does all the work and Carver just broods. I just, I have to read Ashley's comment because then I feel like I can say more what I want to say. So Ashley says, it's not that I hate the idea of Carver and Violet. I just kind of hate it right now. 
The issue with Stella still feels unresolved. He's hooking up with Seeger. Why throw Violet into the mix? Why give him another story at all? Next season, I could see it, but Violet has barely recovered from Hawkins. I mean, who has? Maybe he's just a rebound before they hit us with Valo, but the timing's all over the place. That. That. Like, I just feel like there's so much else going on with Carver that, like, I agree. Like, obviously, like, until, basically, until Taylor left, like, it felt like Carver had a crush on Stella. Then they hooked up with Seeger, and I was like, okay, fine. And now it's like they're really going there on the Violet stuff, and I'm like, what is like what are they doing i'm like pick a lane and stick with it and then i can maybe then we can talk about like okay is violet trying to save carver Pockets for life. yeah like <laughs> i just you know like i i don't know i feel like they have a lot more with carver specifically to work out before they go there with carver and our favorite person like i don't know <laughs> i try not to say it i try not to say it um but yeah uh-huh. I just think it's, it's, a. Uh, I don't know. Okay. They don't need to do it now. Like, I think you could go there maybe in a season, but like, not now. I didn't realize that we were going to have a battle for which couple has the least amount of chemistry tonight, but I'm going to ask the question anyway, who has less chemistry, Will and Grace or Violet and Carver? Will and Grace. Because I think. Hanako is one of those people that Hanako can pretty much have chemistry with anyone else. Like, I'm not saying that her and Jake have like the most amazing chemistry, but Hanako is one of those people to me that like she's gonna have chemistry with whoever she's on the screen with. Yeah. Like, because even when I think about it, like there's a reason we liked Violet and Gal in the first place. Like those scenes were like they had so much chemistry. And like obviously when Jimmy came on, like she and Jimmy had a ton of chemistry. Mm -hmm. And I think while I don't think she's there yet necessarily with Jake, I think they obviously see something with Jake and Hanako because they're going there and like kind of out of nowhere. I mean, that's great that they see something with Carver. You'd think they would want to share with the class and show us too. No, I was talking more about Hanako and Jake's chemistry. Like there's a reason they're, I don't think they're coming out of nowhere with like, oh, we're going to go all in on Violet and Carver. Like, why? Like, I, you know, it was kind of like the, when Jimmy was on, it was like, oh yeah, well, we saw the chemistry and we were like, we're going to lean into that, even if it's just for a couple episodes, you know? So yes, to answer your question, it is definitely Will and Grace have less chemistry because I think Hanako can have chemistry with pretty much anyone. No, that's fair. And just in case you all forgot, we are indeed a Hanako Greensmith stand account. We just adore her. We have been there. Listen, we've been there since the very beginning. Absolutely adore her. My Um, interview with her, that was, Jesus, two years ago now, which is kind of crazy. Was it really? Um, Yeah. She came up on like my time hop the other day and I was like, how has it been two years? And like, that was the very beginning, like right when she came back to Vire for good, basically. And I just like, can't believe it's been two years. I'm still bitter that like real life and work interfered that day. And I was not able to be there. Yeah. I love her. Still I better. We're still, we're trying to get her back on. We're yes. working on it. Hanako, if you're out there with your, which you're not, but if you are, please come back. We love you. Yeah. We're working on it. Yeah. We're trying. Yep. Yep. Um. Yeah um let's see and then last up listener comment how do you say it wokey Woke? it's welka welka um you asked how we felt about carver so here's my opinion i have mixed feelings about him 
on the one hand, I hate the fact that at every other turn, he has another secret or problem that's not clearly explained what his issues are or how he's feeling. I know that men don't like to talk about their feelings, but usually guys are not acting so weird when they have feelings. But on the other hand, after what he told, you know, what he said about his brother, I do feel sorry for him. And I think there's more to the story of his childhood. But just tell us already and don't keep being sad about it. Don't keep being sad about it. As for what they're doing now, right now with Carver and Violet, no, just please no. Mm-mm. Maybe in a faraway future, but it can it also be about a different topic and start with some random, can it then also be about a different topic and start with some randomly, supposedly manly car? I wasn't on board with Bretzy for a long time because I was a huge Jossie shipper, but after the super cute love confession in 915, I fell in with them. So maybe they can, that can also happen with Carver and Violet, but they deserve a different storyline. Maybe they can make Carver open up to Violet. That way we get both a good start for maybe a romantic relationship in the future. And we might also start to care more about Carver. Every week we talk about, oh, hopefully in the, hopefully soon we can care more about Carver every single week. And it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see that being a fun ship. I see it being really one-sided. And then like, if Carver starts to like make her mad or anything, if Carver, like if Carver causes any sort of drama, Gallo's going to be there to like whoop his ass. And then that's going to make drama on truck. It, no, I don't want any of it. Mm-hmm. And then G- Gallo's also going to be secretly jealous the whole time. I'm not here for it. Yeah. Please I, don't do that to us. It's going to be something. No, no. And all the while Ritter's just going to be like, I told you so. Right. Yeah. Blah. Yeah. Blah. Yeah. So next up is Mouch. Mouch yeah, had a fun up. little B story here. I was thinking cute. about this today when I was rewatching and outlining that, like, again, we're not trying to throw out anything in the universe, but if, 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 if Christian Stolte were to ever leave fire, they could never replace the comedy storylines like they do with him. Like, he no. is the comedy storylines on fire. Yes. Like, he's just so charismatic and funny. And it's just, they can never do them the same way. No. No. The donut one is still, like... The donut one is still great. The little free library. Like, there's so many good ones that all are mouth-related. And, like, this one's really funny, too. I feel like the donut story is the only one that even comes close to rivaling Kruzumba. I, I mean, there's some good ones, but like, yeah, it, the donut one's really funny. The donut one is really, really funny. Yeah. So Mouch is thrilled. He's thrilled because he has a model of this really old fire truck to build like scale model, all that stuff with like the details and the painting, all that stuff. And he's building it on commission for a deputy district chief. And he really takes a lot of pride in it. He's like, yeah, an amateur builder would crumble under the pressure. And he very quickly realizes that he's missing a teeny tiny little piece of this truck, the deck gun. Um, and it's tiny. So Ritter and Gallo, they try to help Mouch find the piece, but there's nothing. Even when Sylvie gets called out and Mouch is like, careful where you step. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So Ritter and Gallo try and help him. And Ritter's like, dude, we haven't been able to find it anywhere. Gallo has been on the deep web for hours. My favorite is Gallo being like, I almost bought a gun in Slovenia. And I was like, oh, Jesus. Gallo would. Gallo. Gallo would. Gallo probably found some stuff on the deep web that he can't unsee. 
yeah he was like my eyes yeah yeah Ritter what is ah I'm like ah. yeah 100 percent but Mouch is like I don't care keep looking like you're not fine find it it's the right there's the right ones out there you've got to find it so Mouch finally founds or he finds one but it won't be there for like three or four weeks and he's desperate so Ritter finds something that would work but Mouch is way too picky and so Ritter's like yeah I found something at this store like the target on the cell has a bunch and Mouch goes, anything that says it's ages three and up isn't exactly museum grade quality. I love it. And Ritter's like, but you just need the deck gun. Like, it's not <laughs> like you're building the whole fire truck from the three and eight, you know, the toy. Oh my God. It's so funny. So he finishes the model. He still doesn't have the missing piece though. Ritter finds one on Reddit in a Reddit forum. So this guy like collects firefighter memorabilia and all he wants to do is trade. He's like, I don't, I don't require any money. Just, I want to trade something. So they're like, well, what do we do though? Cause everything on the truck is city owned. And so Mouch is like, well, let's think of something that's like not city owned. They trade him the deck gun for a slam again. Which I wouldn't have even really thought of. And then like when it happened, I was like, that's such a good idea. Like yes. it's, it's genius. And it also begs the question of when NBC is going to put up like play slamigans on their website. I know they're really missing out on like selling replica slamigans. <laughs> I mean, what would you use it for? I don't really know, but like, I don't care. I know you slap the NBC and Chicago fire logo on there. And like, I'm sold. I'm buying one. Yeah. Yeah. Just for the sake of like my weird, you know, like memorabilia. Like, you know, I, yeah. Like, TV, like, yeah. You're like memorabilia of TV themed TV, things. pop culture. Yeah. Whatever. Like I'm definitely buying one. I don't care. Yeah. I would buy one of those and then stick it alongside like Otis's fake cane. Yeah. I would like stick it. Well, I would take my slam again. I'd stick it with like my big hug mug. Like, you know, like I'd make mm. like, you know, you have your little, you know, Chicago one Chicago display. Did you ever catch that Cruz, Cruz has the big hug mug in his office? Yes, I did catch that. I love it. Every time I see it, it's like, I haven't seen it before. And I'm like the big hug mug. And I'm like, no, you literally knew it was there. Right here. I love it. I love it so much. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All the memorabilia. I need to get myself a sharky. That's what I need to get myself. Yeah. I got mine sitting right here too. I know I got that for you. Yeah, you did. And you got me my big hug mug. I got to get me a Sharky. Yeah. Yeah. RIP Sharky. Oh man. Good times. What are there like Chicago med mem- or Chicago, one Chicago memorabilia period. Otis's cane. Big hug mug. Sharky. Slam again. Tim's pink beanie. Yeah. What's a med one? Thinking. There's got to be something. I mean, I guess just like the scrubs, like the fact that they would say, you know, like Gaffney, you know, Gaffney whatever. Chicago Med. Yeah. 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 Hmm. You're missing out, NBC. Just saying. That's what I'm saying. We, I mean, the Lottie's, you know, Molly's merch is fine, but like there are other opportunities there. Or even just sell them as like plush slamigans. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily need a real one, but like something, a plastic one. I mean, like you don't need it to be like, you know, a plastic one. So then shyhards everywhere can dress as Joe Cruz for Halloween. Where were we? Um, yeah. Okay. So Reddit. Yeah. Slam yeah. We were talking about Reddit and the slam again. Yeah. Just sell a plush one. Like plastic. Yeah. Plastic plush, either one. So perfect. So Mouch finally takes it over to the deputy chief's house and he's handling it so delicately. He's like, here it is. It's amazing. Well, 
<laughs> the, it was intended for the deputy chief's dad who was about to pass it any day, but they made it sound like it was like a collector's item for him. What it really was, was a toy for his daughter so that the dad, like the grandfather could see his grandchild playing with a replica truck. So this little kid is like throwing this model in the air. She's being super rough with it. And Mouch is so nervous the whole time. It's just me out too. Mm-hmm. It was funny. It was funny. And Mouch was really annoyed. So he like threw his phone at the end. Yeah. So yeah. funny. So we had one listener thought on this. Heather B said, Gallo, Ritter, Mouch team-ups need to happen more often. This was gold. And there wasn't a single second that I didn't enjoy. It just kept getting better and better. Actually, that was the theme of the whole episode. All of it just kept getting better for everyone. Except Bamford. Fuck that guy. <laughs> accurate. Accurate. Very accurate. So it's a really good episode of Fire. We really needed that win with Cindy. Yeah. And just like a good episode where like, yeah, we're still not like 100% sold on Carver, but like. We really just needed like a good episode where I don't feel like I, I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. Same. You know, same. I really, I really enjoyed it. I, and I'm really excited for next week. Um, yeah. I cannot wait to see Matt Casey again. It's yeah. going to feel so like nice and comforting. The promo, all the fact it was like all Matt Casey was like amazing. I know. I know. I'm excited. Yeah. So I think next week's going to be really good too. Like I'm, you know, fires, you know, been good a couple weeks. So we'll yeah. take the win. This was a good solid week of shows. It really was. Yep. Any other notes on fire? No, let's get let's stretch TV. it. Big stretch. <laughs> yeah. Pop those joints, stretch those muscles. Oh my goodness. All the feelings. This was an absolutely fantastic episode of PD. It was so good. I would say though, I was personally and because obviously the main part that we were all waiting for doesn't happen till the last like five minutes and marina was over on social media like hyping this episode up she was like you can't miss it blah 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 she was like saying all these things posting all these pictures and i was like dear lord i hope marina isn't like overhyping it and she didn't <laughs> overhype it it was well worth the hype but like i was really afraid there for two seconds but yes it is so good really yeah really good episode so we start this episode and burgess is in therapy she's doing the work she's doing the work she is arguably like the strongest woman in one chicago Mm -hmm. burgess just i mean i've said it before she blows me away she's just incredible like the strength to go through all the shit that she's been through and still pick up and carry on and be a good mom and be a good cop and be a good partner to adam like she's amazing She's amazing. Does that make Burgess Wanda? Ooh. That's an interesting question. Mm. I want to say no only because of like where they took Wanda. And I don't like that parallel can't doesn't stand. What about pre-WandaVision Wanda? I'm not no, I think you can say up until WandaVision. I think what they've done with her since, like, in Multiverse of Madness, then no. Hmm. To an extent. I don't I yeah. don't know. The exact parallel isn't there. The idea can kind of maybe work. So Kim is doing everything that her therapist suggests. Like, she's meditating. She's exercising. She's got a metronome to help her sleep at night. I've never heard of that. But she's doing every single thing that her therapist tells her to do. She's working hard because she wants to be a good mom, a good cop, a good partner. Like, 
her willingness to carry on and her willingness to survive is one of the most amazing things about her Mm -hmm. hands down. And so she's talking to her therapist and she's like, I'm doing everything, but I just feel tired and I don't feel better. And the therapist just says, she's like, okay, well, just because you don't feel better yet doesn't mean you will. Like, you know, you, you will at a certain point in the future. But she also proposes the idea of bringing Adam to therapy. And she, like, Kim clams up so fast. She's just like, oh, I don't think that would go well. Like, she gets, she puts a wall up really, really fast and is like, no, no to that. Uh, And so, yeah, she just says to her therapist, she's like, you know, I know I need to be here and I'm doing the work, but maybe my whole life doesn't have to be colored by something that happened to me over a year ago. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. But this is how you make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, I don't think it has to be, but you have you it is right now and you have to work through that so that it can't it won't be. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. She's putting in the work. And so uh she leaves her session, you know, she sees a text from Adam. He's like, Max all set, you know, I'm off, whatever. I hope it went well at therapy. And like she goes to send a message and be like, Oh yeah, the therapist thought it would be great if you come, but she doesn't send it. Mm-hmm. Uh, So she gets in the car. She hears about a robbery in progress over the radio. She's right around the corner. So she gets there first. Uh, The offenders had fled the scene before she got there. But inside the store, there's two victims. One's pretty much beaten to death almost. And then the other one's not injured. But she handles her gun like a boss. This girl is making so much progress because like she handles her gun. She fires shots. And yeah, her hands shake a little bit. But she makes sure that she uses a technique she learned in therapy to kind of like get through it. Yeah, it doesn't and, send her into a panic attack. No, and she is, she's getting the job done. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, progress is, any progress is huge. So yeah, well, and even like she goes so far as to use like one of the breathing techniques to like, that she learns with the therapist to help the victim, not for herself, but like to help the victim. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And you can tell, I mean, therapy is really working, really, mm-hmm. really working. I am a big fan of therapy. I'm just, I'm, I'm a big fan. It's very effective. So yeah, intelligence arrives on the scene after everything's gone down. They don't really have anything to go off of. Uh, Just, you know, they're talking to one of the employees and they say that one of the offenders just kept laughing and saying it keeps getting better and better. Uh, So it wasn't their first robberies. This is a robbery crew we're working with. And they had been, they had hit like four similar places that month alone. Uh, And it turns out it's a male-female team. So that's what we know so far. It's a a male-female team. They've done a lot of robberies. That's that, okay? Mm -hmm. A lot of little details in this episode that are just chef's kiss, like so perfect. Something that was really good about this episode that was probably not even intentional. There's a lot of Berzik parallels here. Mm -hmm. A lot. Yeah, I I would be curious to know like how many of them are intentional, if at all, and like if they are intentional, like, is it intentional in the script? Is it intentional in the way that like Marina and Patty are just that good? And like, they care that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be interested to know. Yeah. It's a good question. I, I think Matt Whitney wrote this one and he's relatively new. So I, I wonder, yeah, I, I wonder now if I'm checking who wrote this episode. I thought Matt was a fire writer. Oh, maybe he did write last week. I, I remember seeing Matt's name at some point, but maybe he is a fire writer. Um... Well, Brian is Googling. So yeah. uh, 
Ruzik just kind of like Atwater walks away, Voight walks away and Ruzik just kind of materializes and he does this thing where he chucks on her, but he like pulls her in closer. And like the parallel to that moment in early season three, uh, I think it's the one where they find the kid in the refrigerator at the very beginning of the episode. Uh-huh. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like he pulls her in and he calls her darling. And then he does the thing with like the back of his hand on her cheek. Oh my God. Still one of my favorite first moments, but the parallels here, like they're everywhere. So yeah, he checks on her and, uh, He's like, yeah, so you handled your gun. That was fine. Wow. Okay, great. So yeah, and she's like, let's work. We'll talk about it later. No. Like, yeah, I was going to say, um, Matt Whitney's a firewriter. This was written by Elena Perez. I don't know that name either, though. No, I'm trying to see what the last episode. It's her first episode this year. Good for her. Mm-hmm. Love it. Yep. Love it. Yeah, so um, back at Intelligence, you know, Kim and Adam are going through what little footage they have. And Adam just points out, he's like, well, therapy must be working because, like, you didn't have any reaction to the gunshots. And she just kind of brushes it off. She's like, whatever. And Adam goes, I'm proud of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My heart. That man would do anything for you, Kim Burgess. Mm-hmm. Anything. Ends yep. of the earth he would go to. Yep. Oh, man. I die. Yeah. So Kim, once again, looks like she's about to ask him about therapy, but she's like, nah, never mind. I'm good. So they get the offenders on footage, including them stopping to have sex in an alleyway. Once again, citizens of Chicago, we must talk about where we have sex in the city. (laughs) Yeah. In an alleyway. Yeah. I think I had my head down at this point. Was it like in a car in the alleyway or was it like on the concrete in the alleyway? No, it's, like, not on the concrete, because it wasn't like that. There was, like, that little, like, porch thing, you know, like, it was, like, they went to the alleyway, and there was, just like, some porch, and they were, like, sitting on something. I mean, you can only see it's, like, camera footage, so you don't see that much. But it's, like, not on the ground, but it's, like, you know, not against the wall either. I don't know if the laws are different in Illinois or something, but can we not have sex in public places, like, or be smarter about it? Yeah. Be smarter about it. We'll be, be smarter about it. Yeah. Like especially at least when you're especially when you're on the run for a crime. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe that's not the right time to stop and have sex. Maybe not. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no. No. But also, like, I feel like anywhere other than a bed would really hurt. We've had this conversation before. But why is it a conversation we keep having to come back to is my question. That's a great, yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, they go, they go to the the place where they had, they had seen the footage and um, Kim sees if she can pull any DNA and she ends up finding one of their masks. And so the DNA comes back with a match. This woman's name is Ruby Bertinelli. And she doesn't have any priors or anything, but this is where things get really dicey. So the reason they were able to find the match is because Ruby had reported a rape four years prior. And so the DNA match was from a rape kit, as in she was a victim. Oh, man. It's bad. It's really dicey. So I'm really glad that Kim and Ruzik were, like, astonished once they they learned this. They were like, wait a second. Like, how dare you? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, the cop was like, the cop who gave it to them was just like, there's nothing that stops me from giving this to you. So like, do you want the answer or not? He was so callous about it. Yeah. I hated his attitude. Oh my God. Yeah. 
yeah, this is really delicate territory. Really, really delicate. And then we get this scene in the bullpen. Was the tech wrong? Is it illegal? Well, not exactly. I, I, legally, it's murky. Law doesn't prevent him from getting a hit. But, uh, you know, he had to dig for it. Well, for legally, okay. But it's not ethical. It sets a terrible precedent using a victim's DNA to build a case on a current crime. Bird, you already saw the name. And I shouldn't have, Kev. The only reason her DNA is in our system is because she was a victim once. She has victim's rights. Kim, you're holding her ID right there. An offender. An offender who was involved in five robberies, the last of which a man was beaten within an inch of his life. I know. I was on the scene with him. It doesn't make it black and white. I know that. Look, we got it legally. It would be unethical not to use it. I'd never come forward and report a rape if I knew my DNA could be used like this. She reported the rape as a victim, and that's what it should be used for, and only that. Look, we're not moral authorities. We're not lawyers. It's legal. We're using it. This made this me, like, so yikes. Like, yeah. all I can say is, like, yikes. Oh, so yikes. But it's, it's also so upsetting. Yeah. And I think what, honestly, for me personally, I mean, like, obviously the subject matter to me is really upsetting. But I think the thing that honestly I think makes me more upset when it comes to this show and this scene is the fact that it's like Kim and um, Upton against, not that Ruzik and Kevin are like for using it, but they don't also say anything to like take Kim and Haley's side either. Or to back them up, yeah. Yeah. Like they don't go against Voight, but they don't go against Haley and Burgess either. They're just kind of like there and witnesses. And I'm like, this is nuts. That's not great. This highlights so many things that are wrong with our criminal justice system. Yeah. So many things. Like the dehumanization of criminals and the way that that happens in this country is disgusting. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. The minute somebody commits any sort of crime, they lose any and all dignity. And I mean, it's, it's from big ways to little ways. I still remember when I started watching Orange is the New Black, even little things, right? So when Piper first goes to jail and Orange is the New Black, she she visits with somebody. I think it's Jason Biggs' character or whatever. But she like moves in a way or something that catches a guard attention and the guard calls her inmate. Not even by a name or a number or anything, just calls her inmate. Like you commit one crime and it's, like all of a sudden you deserve to lose your sense of identity, your sense of self, your, your self-worth, all of that. That does not, that doesn't compute with me. Yeah. And like the, if, if the goal of, if the goal of incarceration is rehabilitation by dehumanizing the criminals, you're not, you're not giving them the materials they need to rehabilitate themselves. Did lawyer Gina poke out a little bit just now? Sorry. Just a little bit. It's okay. Sorry. Uh, I have feelings, okay? No, it's fine. But yeah, I mean, you see the dehumanization of criminals in in society because up until Ruby had been a suspect in these robberies, she had victims' rights. The minute she was suspected of a crime, Voight was like, forget it. She doesn't get that protection anymore. It doesn't matter that she's a rape victim. She's a criminal now. Yeah. And it's hard because like, you almost have to treat them as two different things, right? Like she is a rape victim, but she also is a, you know, she did commit these robbers, you know, she did. And it's like hard. Cause like, there's no good way to balance the two things. You know, it's really hard. This is a really tough one, a really, really tough one because 
you know, Haley mentioned, she's like, I would never report a rape if I knew my DNA could be used this way. And then, I mean, the, uh, the, 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 the snide one-liner in response to that would be, well, just don't commit a crime. Yeah. But I know it's so, but the thing is like, it's so hard. Cause like, yeah, that would be my response too. Is like, well, you know, I think they're just such different things. It's like, I think you have to handle if you were raped or, you know, like if you're Ruby in this situation, like I would still want to report it, but then obviously I wouldn't also necessarily go commit a crime. So I wouldn't be thinking about that, but like, you know, she, Ruby did, you know, rob a bunch of convenience stores Mm -hmm. and ultimately that led to some people dying, you know, like she did commit these crimes. Yeah. Not by herself, but she did commit the crimes and that, in itself has to be punished too. I just think it's wrong that they're using the rape as like, you know, the basis of their case. Right. They're using it against her. You know, if they find her rape, you know, if she had committed like a different, you know, crime and her DNA was in the system and that's how they pulled it, then we wouldn't be, obviously we wouldn't be having this conversation, but then it's like, okay, whatever, you know, they got her DNA. It is what it is, you know. I think I think another part of this is easy, it's easy to say don't commit a crime, especially when your suspect is a white woman, right? How often do you know? How much more often do black men and women get accused of crimes they did not commit? No, for sure. Than white men and women, for sure. Right? This is a lot more slippery territory if our suspect is a black woman. No, for sure. And I mean, like we said, it's easy for us to sit here and say, like, well, just don't commit a crime. Yep. Obviously, I I do see that. Yep. It's just, it's really hard because I think in this specific case, we were talking about Ruby, like, I mean, because obviously we can get into so many, like, general topics or whatever. But if you're talking about Ruby in this situation, it's really hard because, like, the only DNA they had in the system is her rape kit. But they also have to figure out a way to persecute her for her crimes of the robberies and ultimately, you know, leading to the death of some people and whatever. Like, they have to do, you know, it's really hard in this specific situation. Um, But they have to somehow get her, you know, for the crimes that she committed. Yeah, and and that kind of leads to what Voight says here. Because, okay, so first of all, Voight's like, we're not moral judges. We're not lawyers. Hi, Hank, do you know what lawyers do? We're not moral judges either. Like, yeah. really? Um, but, you know, he basically says, he's like, you don't have to use the DNA. Like, you can do some creative writing. That's exactly what he says. But then that's no better because he's encouraging them to create a false narrative. And what if the, what if one of them trips up in a detail that could get her charged with another crime when she actually didn't commit? Yeah. And one of the thing, you know, again, going back to more Voight stuff, you know, what Voight said is like, so this week you're like, okay, no, the law is the law, like, you know, or like not the law is the law, but like, you're, you're okay with like using it to your advantage and the law said we can do it and the law is the law but like last week you're like trying to bend the like I, I don't know Voight just like you know ever conflicting himself is just like I what are we doing he doesn't play the game by the rules yes like yeah and that's essentially what our justice system is it's 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 a big game you got to play by the rules is it right no it's fucked but, well, and the thing is, it's know. so situational too. And I think that is also how our justice system is. Is like, I can commit one thing and like get one punishment. But if 
Joe Blow over there goes and commits the same crime and he's black, then he may get it. He's probably going to get a different punishment for me. Yeah. And that's the really fucked up thing. Or even if you and I, like, I could commit one crime and I may just get lucky and, you know, with one judge and I may get, you know, barely any time or community service or whatever. You can commit the same crime and you may get one, a different judge that's like terrible and nasty and you could get like 20 years in prison. I mean, you know, it really yeah, I, is just like, it's so situational and it's yeah. so biased and it's just, it's I used to see that. Great. I did criminal for like a hot minute and I saw that in practice. I had two DWIs in two different counties, one of which was a felony and like the guy's like six time. And the other was like the guy's first or second. And the county with the guy who had committed his felony, like the sixth one, they didn't want to give him jail time or anything. They gave him probation. Meanwhile, the other county with the guy on the second, they were like, yeah, we're going to give him like two days in jail. Yeah, it's really like we see it a lot, you know, with going to court, like taking our tenants to court and things like that. And it's just like, it really just depends. Like we're going through this whole thing now with like new judges. And so there's like a new judge almost every month. and it's like. One month you have a really great judge. The next month it's like not a great judge. And it's like, Jesus Christ. But yeah. A judge made me cry one time. Not in really? court. Not in court. I cried in my car. But yeah, a judge made me cry. It happened. Aren't you glad you didn't practice law? I'm so glad. Every day of my life, I am thankful that I don't practice anymore. It was not a good fit for me. Yeah. Not a good fit. Soul sucking. Let me tell you. Yeah. But yeah, I think this scene, this scene, I'm, I'm disappointed in Voight, but I am a little disappointed in Kevin for being like, well, you've already got her name. Well, and Ruzik, I mean, like, it's hard to be, I think with Ruzik, just because like in the first scene, he does speak up a little bit, mm-hmm. but in this scene, he doesn't really. Yeah. And I, I, I'm inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't know yeah, why. It's like, I, I give him the benefit of the doubt because you did at least hear from him in the first scene, but it's like in this scene, you know. But also, I mean, Kim and Haley are speaking from the perspective of, you know, being a woman here. And that's something For that sure. Adam knows nothing about. And so instead of trying to chime in, he's just, he's keeping his mouth shut and listening. But I, I don't know. I think in a situation like, I don't know, I still think it's, it was kind of just a little disappointing to not hear from Kevin and, uh, and Voight. No, and Ruzik. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it was definitely, it was definitely disappointing to hear the silence from the men for sure. Yeah. Um, it just became very glaring in this moment of like, Voight saying one thing and he's a dude. And then Haley, you only have Haley and Upton being like, no, this is wrong. And they're yeah. girls. Like it was just very glaringly obvious in this scene. Yeah. 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 Um, speaking of silence, another episode without Torres. What the hell? Yeah. I don't understand what's happening here. I don't like it. Like, it'd be one thing if you said, okay, Benjamin was cast as a recurring character and like, yeah, he was in a majority of them, but there's going to be like, you know, every now and then he's going to miss a couple and then, okay, fine. Fine. As far as we know, Benjamin is a series regular. Yeah. So why did you not have him in the 200th? Why did we not have him in this episode? Like, it's weird. It's weird. Like, I don't understand. And it's not something that used to happen. Like Now, I remember early on, like early on, Kevin would miss a couple here and there. But I think he was technically recurring. I don't think in the first season, LaRoyce was a series regular. 
I mean, it's, it's a, it's an interesting question, but yeah, I don't like it either. I don't care that he's new. He's still, he's part of this family too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it just feels really weird. And I, it, it obviously feels intentional and I don't know why they're doing it. Yeah. And I think obviously the fact that they have a small, like intelligence is so small now and it just, it just, everything about it just feels so glaringly obvious. And I mm-hmm. don't know why, like, why is this happening? It's weird. It's, it's weird. weird. For a franchise that operates on such a found family basis, where, you know, family is so important and everything, to not include him just, it doesn't feel right. And I'm trying to think about even, this is such an off topic too, but like you think about like how many episodes we have left for the season, right? Mm -hmm. And like where we're kind of going. So apparently, obviously next week's an Adam episode. We know that. Mm -hmm. Lauren keeps saying that the finale is potentially an Adam episode. So that's two out of the five that are left. So then like, what are we getting? Are we getting another Taurus episode? It's a good question. Because that also then feels really shitty that he only got two episodes in his first season. Yeah. Like that just feels really shitty. It does. If we don't get another one by the end of the year. A lot of questions. I don't know. Just something about that just seems weird to me. Yeah. But what do we know? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah odd so once they have this whole conversation um they decide to go to ruby's last known uh but they don't really find anything so there's a hit on her car a mile from her house so they go there and they hear shots fired so birgewater they go check it out it's another convenience store robbery so the the guy gets away but Kim finds Ruby on the floor and she's just like, she's completely out of it. And she's just muttering things to herself. Um, even after Burgess cuffs her, she's just kind of saying the same thing to herself over and over and over. So she, she's using a grounding technique basically to keep herself, you know, in the present moment. Because yeah. obviously it's a, it's a really hard moment for her to do that. And so that's what she's doing is just trying to ground herself. So yeah, Brenna, take it from here, please. All right. So Burgess goes and questions Ruby, but like Ruby literally says nothing. So Burgess is like, okay, like let's go back to the drawing board. So Burgess is like chroming through her social media, but it's like so dead. Like she basically stopped posting four years ago when mm-hmm. her rape happened. Um, and so Kim starts thinking, you know, whether or not Ethan, who's the guy that Ruby accused of the rape, is the second offender. And she's just like, I just have this gut feeling that something's wrong. And Adam's like, that may be a stretch, but like, I believe you. Like, let's go. Like, let's go check it out. Because he would do anything for her. Yes. So they decide to go to Ethan's LKA and they find like a bloody footprint on the sidewalk. So obviously that gives them the right to go in. And basically what they find, they don't find Ethan, but they find like a backpack in the trash or duffel in the trash can, like boots and like chemicals in the bathtub so like clearly given the fact that there was a bloody shoe print on the sidewalk like clearly Ethan is the second offender mm-hmm. they figure that out so Kim goes back to the 21st and like talks to Ruby again and Kim starts going over the details of the rape itself and like Ruby's hands start fidgeting but she like denies being raped but like obviously you can tell that like she's having a reaction to the rape so intelligence doesn't really have much on Ethan. So Voight's like, okay, we'll go ahead and charge Ruby. See if that'll scare her into talking. Voight is not like, Voight uh, has no bedside manner. Yeah. I mean, we, we've known all. that, but like, come on. I would expect you to have a little bit more tact with a rape victim. Yeah. Um. 
So Kim gets another text from her therapist, obviously still asking her about Adam. And this sparks an idea in Kim. And Kim's like, listen, before we charge Ruby, like, I'm trying one more thing first. So she takes her to the bar, like, where Ruby and Ethan worked and where they first met. And we have this conversation. So this is where you used to work. You and Ethan. And then one night, a terrible thing happened. A terrible thing that split your life in two, into a before and an after. And I think that every decision you made after that was just to survive. And you did. I told you nothing happened here. Ruby, you can confront this. I know that you can. And I'm going to get you a deal, I promise, okay? I will keep you safe. You'll never have to see him again. I will get you help. But you've got to talk to me. You've got to tell me where he'd run. Nothing happened here. I said I don't want to talk anymore, and I don't. Get me a lawyer. No. I want a lawyer, okay? Get me a lawyer. You could have asked for a lawyer this whole time. I know that you know that, and you didn't. Think that you want to talk. Think you're tired. Think you want to feel better. I don't. Ruby. I don't. I don't. You don't know me. You don't know anything about me. I know that he left you. Ethan left you when you were scared and panicked. It's not a partner. That's not what they do. Stop. Do this for yourself, Ruby. I know that you can. No, stop. I want a lawyer, okay? Now, get me a lawyer. Man. This is hell of a moment. Yeah. Especially then, too, like, when you see that, like, the things that she was muttering had, like, took her back to that moment because they're the, whatever, the miles away, you know, on the wall at the bar. And it's just, yeah. The way that Kim describes the trauma, like, because, I mean, obviously she's speaking firsthand, but the way she says she's like, you know, something horrible happened to you, something that split your life into a before and after, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and she obviously knows what she's going through. But then she also, when she talks about Ethan and she's like, a partner doesn't do that. A good partner stays with you a good partner does not do that like just the the parallels to adam and the way that adam is looking at her in this moment like so much love in his eyes like that is that's the way i look at my iced coffee i look at my dog my husband like anything within sync everything i love that's the way i look at it uh really really strong moment yeah 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 so this prompts ruby like she finally comes clean and she's like okay well i know how to reach him so we're back at the 21st and basically Kim has promised Ruby a deal. And again, Voight's like, well, no, you can't do that. And this is how the scene goes. I assume if there's ever anything I need to know about how you're doing, you tell me. I'm not, I'm not pressing. I'm just saying that if I need to know, you can tell me. I got your back. Thank you. I didn't know how to interpret this. It's really weird. But I'm not the only one who thinks that. It just felt so... I guess the idea is that, like, Kim's going through... Like, I think it's there because Kim's going through therapy and she's trying to work out her feelings. And, you know, I think that's what it has to do with. But it just feels so out of place and so not genuine yeah it feels not genuine and like 
I feel like I'm very quick to find the worst in everything that Voight says or does. And so that's why I really try to slow it down and think about this moment. But the more you think about it, how he is like, hey, look, if you need to tell me about how you're doing, go for it. It basically implies like, hey, Kim, you're being really emotional, which is a whole other problematic bag of worms in and of itself. Yeah. Well, and like the whole thing too, even going back to the deal itself, it's like, okay, so like you can make deals all the time when it suits your, you know, cases and your victims, but like Kim, like what's, I really still didn't understand like why Kim can't make a deal with Ruby. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Voight Voight said, you know, she's doing time because she did six robberies. That's the magnitude of it. I get that, but like. And I'm not saying she needs to get off Scott clean. I got it. Like, she's going to get punished. She's going to go away for a long time. I got it. But, like, you're just saying that. I I don't know. I It just bugs me that, like, Void's like, oh, well, I can make a deal. But, Kim, you can't make a deal. I mean, that could be as simple as him being a sergeant and her superior. But But everyone else has made deals. How many times did, like, Upton make deals or Jay made deals or whatever? I mean, like, what? Because they're detectives. They get to make deals and Kim can't. I don't know. And I feel like Kim's made deals before. It was just like in a, this situation, like you can't make a deal. And I was like, why? Right. It's got, it, it almost implies you can't make a deal because you're too emotional about this case. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that, I thought it was weird too. And how weird. Yeah. And then just the way that, I mean, at face value, it sounds like he's being nice and being like, you can tell me I've got your back, but it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. And then the way that Kim says, thank you, all hushed in in a whisper, I don't think she buys it. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe she does. I mean, you know, we've asked Marina before why why Hank is so hands-off with her. But I think that would be another good question for Marina is, you know, we know how Voight feels about Burgess, but how does Burgess feel about Voight? Mm-hmm. Does she trust him? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So basically Kim and Ruby like message Ethan on this app to try to like lure him out. So it works and they meet him at this train yard or whatever. And basically like it's Ruzik and Kim and then Ethan. And then you've got like everyone else like around, you know, just in case shit goes down. But like Kim and Ethan have this like back and forth or whatever. And like Ethan goes to draw his gun. So Kim shoots him. Um, but again, it's one of those moments where it's like, Kim didn't even hesitate. She didn't, you know, have a panic attack. Like she was calm, cool, steady. Like she did what she had to do in that moment. And we're very proud of her. Her hands did not even shake. Yeah. Yeah. So Kim goes back to the interrogation room after this all goes down and like tells me that Ethan's dead. And, you know, the look on her face, like it's a look of relief and also being scared and you know it's a, it's a bunch of different emotions but mainly like i think it's like relief and also still being scared at the same time yeah because you yep. don't really know if you believe it or not yeah i mean trauma doesn't just up and leave it lingers yeah. and like so even to the point like she has the look on her face and you know she doesn't really say that much but she like does start her muttering again she's trying to like you said center herself you know calm herself down but yeah she does start muttering again so then we go into what is like arguably the best six, seven minutes, however long it was, the whole thing was mm-hmm. of the whole episode. 
So Adam goes to find Kim in the locker room and he's like, listen, like I just found out I've got another 24 hours off from undercover. He's like, Max, I had a sleepover. He's like, let's go do something. And Kim jokingly says like, oh, well, we should go to therapy. Um, And he's like, what's that? The name of a like restaurant or whatever. (laughs) Oh, Adam, never change. Yeah. And, you know, but he, he does agree. I mean, I had no doubt that Adam would agree to go to her you know therapy with her no doubt in my mind the way he was so casual he was like yeah let's go yeah and then of course like you point in the outline like the parallel you've got this parallel i just i every time like when i saw that this scene was happening in the locker room like i just took me back to like every locker room scene versix had but especially you point out the one like this moment and then the one in the warehouse episode but like i just started thinking about like every locker room scene versix ever had yeah yeah but actually though yeah parallels everywhere um so then you have the family therapy session with kim adam and the therapist see i don't think that the pts has affected our relationship i mean (sighs) kim and i we've been through plenty have fights you know been out of sync but we work through it we'll work through this too what do you mean by out of sync I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe there were some times where maybe I felt more and wanted more, and uh, you know, she didn't feel the same way, wanted the same things, but you adjust. I adjusted, we adjusted, and worked through it. You had a reaction when he said that. What were you thinking? Oh, I don't know. ever not felt it's not that I didn't feel the same way that he did I did I um I always have I just couldn't um couldn't um you know it's just too okay Okay, we don't need to keep pushing that tonight. That's a good start. This is progress. Yeah, there's a lot said here that, you know, I think, it's you know, needed to obviously be said. Big time. It's it's pretty eye-opening, right? That yeah, we've seen Adam's version of this for the past like seven or eight seasons, right? Yeah. It's really eye-opening to hear Kim's side of this because now Kim is telling us that for the past seven or eight seasons, she's always loved Adam. Her feelings have always been the same. It never wavered at all. Yeah. Um, I have something I want to say, but it technically comes out in the next scene. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting because I don't know if I would have, if you had told me like last week that that's what she was going to say, I don't know if I would have said I would have bought it. I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. Um, but anyway, so I, I want to say something else, but I want to go to the, like, a little bit of the, yeah. you know, finish up. So basically they go home and, like, it's a little awkward at first, but then Kim breaks the silence. Um, and then Adam says, you know, like, you were to what? Like, finishing, obviously, where Bird just left off her conversation in the therapy session. And she says, you know, I was too scared and numb. 
do you think though like what do you think she was scared of and numb from like is that from like as soon as they broke up in season three is that like after they had the miscarriage and the baby like where do you think her scaredness and numbness came from I think it's two different things I think I think the fear definitely started in season three or season four whatever you want to season say, four yeah. yeah whenever the breakup happened I think that's where it started and then it grew over time right so, I mean, when she dated the prosecutor briefly, you know, I'm sure that kind of fueled the fire a little bit. I think her fear grew over time. I think the numbness probably started after Nicole was raped and then mm. got worse with the miscarriage. I think, I think her fear like escalated over time and then her numbness started at a different point and that escalated over time as well to the point that when she was shot in season eight, that just like, she just yeah. plateaued and like couldn't feel anything anymore. It's interesting because like now that we're sitting here talking about it, like I could see it. But if you had told me like a couple weeks ago, I'd have been like, no, she doesn't love. She didn't love him the whole time. Like, Uh, what are we talking about? That's not the version that I saw. Yeah, that's not the version that I saw. Um, I don't think I'm I'm trying to think back about everything that Kim has been through. The first time she was shot, I don't think really numbed her or anything. I think she was too green to really process the magnitude of what happened to her the first time. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. And I, it's just crazy that you had to say the first time she was shot. Like mm. the first time she was shot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, for sure. Can you even argue there was numbness when Roman left, right? Because like they yeah, were together and then he agree. just up and left. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting, but I was just curious, like if you thought like, when her scaredness and numbness, you know, came Yeah, up. I, I think their breakup in season three, I think it jarred her a lot more than people think. Um, but I say that, I think I say that mostly speaking for me, because I mean, there were times after that in seasons like four, five, six, where, you know, Marina would say, well, Kim's still pretty hurt or, you know, Kim's still feeling this way. And in my mind, I was like, still, but- yeah. You know, I, I think it really hurt her because she loves him with every fiber of her being. And I think it's, in, I think you can have this, we're having this conversation and like they can make these comments now because it's been so long that Berzik's been apart. Mm-hmm. But if like Berzik had gotten back together, say in like season five or six, I don't know. It's just, I feel like then it's a different journey. Obviously it's a different journey because they didn't have the baby at that point. But yeah. like, it's just interesting to think about like, well, what would this have like? What would this conversation, you know, have looked like of them getting back together if they weren't as broken up for as long as they were? It's a, it's a good question, you know. It's a good like, question. would Kim have admitted, like, if they got back together, like, at the end of season five or at some point in season six, that like she was numb and scared, even though she probably was to some extent? I doubt it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I doubt it too. But also if they were to get back together in seasons five or six, that doesn't give Adam enough time to prove himself to her. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I think that we're having this conversation and Kim's obviously, you know, because of everything they went through, like it took six, seven seasons, depending on how you want to look, but like six, seven seasons, but like, damn, like it's, it's kind of paid off in the end. Cause I think they are able to have this mature conversation that they had. Hell, I bet Ubzik even hurt her. Probably not to the, I, I don't know. I don't know how much it hurt her. I'm sure it hurt her in some extent, but I don't think it's like. Probably hurt to see him moving on. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, and then, okay. 
so then that like so adam like turns to like go away for a second and then she like pulls him back in and we get the kiss Perfect sexy time and this is their first kiss since what season season three no lauren said eight season eight when did they kiss they oh with the when... infection infection no that's they don't kiss an infection well they had sexy time and infection yeah but they kissed when they won custody of michaela oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. true that was but like a adrenaline kiss they had sexy time in season eight that's the last time that well not eight it's season eight of fire season seven of pd mm, yeah yeah all the seasons like run together. They all blur together. That's why I defer to you on the numbers because you know them. I'm trying. I try. I try. <laughs> but no, this kiss is so good. And then obviously it leads into the parallel of like, you know, because he picks her up and they like knock a lamp out on their way over to like the bedroom. And obviously you've got the parallel of him picking her up from earlier seasons. And it's just so good. It's so good, Gina. Oh my God. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And then, I mean, like he throws her on the bed and the look on her face, like she's finally got some like peace in her life. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Yeah. She's so happy. And like, she just said she, you know, she was scared. She was numb. And in that moment, like when the camera pans to her, like she's clearly not numb anymore. Like she's feeling and it's just, it's, it's so good. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Yeah. And also just the fact that, like, this is kind of just a general comment. It's kind of crazy to think about when you think about like early seasons and like how far they would they really never went there with like sexy time scenes. You would get like a make out and then that's kind of it. And like, I think really with like Brett and Casey's first time, like since then, we've really had a bunch of like sexy time scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like obviously you've got that, you've got Stellaride, you've got, you know, Upstead, Berzik, like there's a, we're very blessed in these recent seasons but actually though but actually though yeah um, yeah i had an idea for a tweet and i'm following through <laughs> mischievous laugh um no totally hashtag blessed oh my goodness and yeah she's so happy and she i mean she deserves to be happy oh my god she's been through so much yeah All right, so you guys obviously had a lot to say. Berzik was quite the popular uh, topic of conversation last night. Um, A couple of our patrons did send us, um, they were like, we can't formulate our words in on paper. It will take, you know, 27 years. So we're just going to send you some voice memos. So first up, we have Aaron. Hi, guys. Um... I'm going to try to get through this without screaming. Uh, Also, I haven't really been able to form coherent thoughts um, since last night. So we'll see how this goes. But um, to start off, I I mean, the case was fine. Um, You know, no one ever really cares about the case. But um, I actually really did like how it kind of paralleled, um, like, Kim realizing Adam as her partner 
he's a partner that's never going to leave, that's always going to be there for her, that supports her and loves her. And, you know, compared to Ruby's rapist, um, I don't know. I don't know if that it's not really a parallel, but I just I liked the juxtaposition of those um, in those scenes. Um, her at therapy again, love, love, love seeing therapy scenes. Um, I love that the therapist knows that Adam is somebody that Kim loves and thinks would be good for her to bring him in. And it's just so sweet how she's so scared to ask him to come to therapy because we all know he would say yes in a heartbeat, which he did. Um, and Adam, you know, coming to check on her right away when he heard the call over the radio and, um, just the looks between the two of them in this episode. And, you know, I had a feeling that what happened at the end was going to happen because of Marina, um, all her posts and everything. Like, I know she posts a lot about episodes, but for some reason, this to me felt different. And I just, I'm just so happy. It finally feels, it feels earned. It feels like they've earned it. We've earned it. It's been a long time coming. And I'm really glad the way it happened. I know I've been frustrated in the past with how storylines have gone, but I'm really happy with how this happened. And I, I just, oh my God, those like last five minutes were so perfect. And him coming into the locker room, we got another locker room scene, which we haven't had in so long. And her being still being so scared to ask him to go to therapy. And he was like, yeah, let's go. You know, like, I mean, we all knew he was going to say that. And then, oh my gosh, that therapy scene was so... Like, I just love how finally... I mean, there wasn't like a huge conversation about their feelings, you know, with before this. So this felt so needed obviously and um you know Adam admitting that like there have been times where he's felt more and didn't think she felt the same way and just finally 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 hearing Kim say that of course she felt the same way she just didn't know how to how to express it or you know but like she she never didn't feel that way about him too And then, oh my goodness, that ending scene. Oh, and I also knew that ending scene was going to happen when he said, when Adam said that Mac was at a sleepover. Like, come on. Like, you knew what they were going to do when they were home alone. Um, But the sexual tension in that scene, whoo, man, it was crazy. And I'm just really glad that it was... Kim that you know finally made that decision and was just like you know what you know the way she stopped him and the way that he looked at her oh my god that look and then 
the way that he picked her up. And that whole scene was just one really, really, really hot. Long time coming. Worth the wait. We've earned it. They've earned it. And like the look on Kim's face at the end, she just looked genuinely happy for the first time in a really long time. I was really, really happy with this episode. I loved it. It's my new favorite episode, obviously, for those reasons. I can finally say that they are back. I have waited for so long to have them back together. And it finally feels so good and so right. And I know that it's getting towards the end of the season. And I know we still have the Beck storyline to deal with and him still being undercover which kind of terrifies me, but I don't want to think about that right now because I'm just going to live in this happy Berzik sex bubble that we have right now because it's just glorious. And I've literally lost count of how many times I have watched that scene. So um, I hope this makes sense. It probably doesn't, but um, yeah. So I'm really excited to hear what you guys think of it too. The Berzik sex bubble. I love her. Erin is one of the first people I think of when I think about Berzik. So, like, I just love how happy she is about Like, seeing her ha- this excited about it makes me really happy about it. I love that. I will I will say, though, I was really expecting Erin's to be, like, a lot less coherent and just super happy and, like, screaming. No, um, she had it together. She had it together. I, I commend I commend that. Because, yeah, in the Facebook group, she was like, I don't know what the hell to do. I was like, dude, just send us a voice memo. Just yell it out. Get your feels out. Just say it. Yeah. Um, and then we also had another patron, Devin A, send in a voice memo, too. Hi, Gina and Bryna. I am giving you my vocal um, notes for PD because I can't put together a full sentence that isn't going to be a paragraph long describing everything. So- but um, I'm doing great and uh, I'm quite happy. So this episode just gets like, I think as every Berzik fan would say, 100% chef's kiss, knocked it out of the park. Anything of, of, the, anything of the sort. It's ju- it was just perfect, Emmy-worthy, award-worthy. I don't really know. It was just amazing. Start to finish, amazing. Like... Everything was so well built up that, like, it just kind of rolled with each other. And I loved that they truly were delving into, like, each of the steps that Kim was trying to do with all her coping mechanisms for the PTSD. Like, the breathing techniques, the, the exposure therapy, the, the the exercise, the this, the that. making Trying to just make it so, therefore, the triggers that you have were not things that were going to keep being triggers in your life. And the fact that she's like 100% in. She's like, it's all or nothing. I can't do this anymore. It just echoes back to what we saw in the 200th. And just so beautifully ex- like, complimented the case of like when she was going through the case and the different parts she was getting like, triggered with or being exposed to was just a way for her to test these coping mechanisms out in the real world kind of thing. I also loved that she noticed that Ruby was in that kind of, I don't know if you would call it disassociative state or like triggered state that you just kind of retract back in and you kind of just retract into yourself and go to your safe place or go to whatever place your mind is taking you and that's it. And to be, you have to get brought out of that. It kind of shows the like, they tried to show the growth of how she 
kind of knows what happens to her when things happen, when she gets triggered. So she knows how to assist on that other side. I also really, really, really enjoyed um, and thought it was very, not valiant, but important for for Kim to speak up for the victim's rights, as did Haley. They both looked at each other like, we've both had trauma, and these three guys don't understand how we will work that. And that these this type of trauma is something that you just don't get over. It's something that it seemed like nothing was meant to be a snap decision. It was something that was well thought out, well planned ways that they would be able to work on this case without sacrificing like the mental health of everyone kind of thing. I mean, if your mental health is plays a role in all the relationships in your life, they were really trying hard in this episode to show that in Kim's life, she has the three sets of relationships. And just because two might be good doesn't mean you can forget about the third because you might forget about the third and you're not realizing that if you have someone in your, in your life, it's affecting them as well. And they're always, and they're there to help you. Can I just say that the grand finale of it all, the let's go to therapy, I think it could be good, but it might not do anything, but who knows, was ideally the best setup to her great unnumbing. I mean, that reaction that her therapist said she had was really her coming, like her, I guess, come to Jesus moment of like, oh my gosh, I've been pushing him away and he wanted more and I thought he, and I thought he wanted more and I didn't want it and he thought I didn't want it was like the clearly the best setup for the ending scene. And everything about that was just so well choreographed. Like hats off to Patty and Marina. Like my gosh, can it not get any better? Like it was gentle, but it was intense, but it was like caring, but it was also like, you're my safe space, but and I don't really didn't know what I was missing kind of thing. It's just chef's kiss, perfect. And uh, let me just say, I didn't sleep too much last night because my mind just kept spinning around in that little Berzic love circle. Again, like, I just love how happy these Berzic made everyone last night. Big time. Big time. Yeah. Okay. It was very, very nice to end the night with a win. Yes, 100%. Um, so Brooke said, as a huge upset stan, I'm actually really freaking happy for all the Berzik fans. That was a great episode, and I hope made up for everything basically since the engagement ended. I'm very excited to see how they move from here. I hope a real wedding is in PD's future, even if it's distant. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah, no, that's not happening anytime soon. I mean, it begs the question, though, where do they go from here? Was that Was that a like a, a relationship defining moment or was that just a fling? I hope, I don't think it's really like, I don't think at the beginning of the next episode, you're going to hear them calling boyfriend and girlfriend. Like that's, no. I know, but I do think obviously given that, like we're ramping up kind of the Adam undercover stuff. I do think it's going to make her realize that like, she is obviously still in love with him. And I think if we do see a moment of like him getting hurt, I think she's just starting to realize and wake up to the fact that like, she still really cares about him in a romantic sense. And, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, she always has based on what she told the therapist, but I, but you know what I mean? Like, and starting to ready to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. And now she's realizing it, it. It's okay to let that guard down and feel that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, but like, where does that mean they go from here? Like, I don't know. I mean, it's the million dollar question. I don't know. You know, because obviously, you know, it's different than Upstead because they also have Mac to think about. And like, how do they tell Mac? Like, what do they tell Mac? Like, you know, <laughs> you know, all the things. So Mac throws in a different wrench into the situation compared to like, you're trying to compare it to Upstead. Mom, um, what happened to the lamp? Yeah. <laughs> um, she also, Brooke also said, uh, Haley and Kim, woman supporting women with the victim DNA. Thank you to whoever wrote the dialogue. Um, and then she also said, I'm decided we have a new Jake and Kate and Jake. I shall refer to them as Kai and Danny as apparently Torres is not allowed to be in the Kim centric episodes anymore. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause the 200th was a Kim centric episode. Man, we got to fix yep. that. They're never going to interact. We got to fix that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Heather B said, I know this was a Berzik episode, but I want to mention first that I found it interesting that we saw Haley go against Voight in front of the group when it would usually just be a whispered conversation in private. Also, did Voight really suggest to just make up a story of how they found her identity out from the DNA? Yes, he did. That happened. And tell me how Voight can justify bending all of the laws last episode, but this week he's all about letting the law work for him, even when two women are telling him it sets a bad precedent that could affect thousands of other people. That's exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. He didn't do any of that deep thinking Chapman asked him to last week, it seems, but hard to agree with him that he is not a moral authority. I thought the ethics question they brought up was interesting, and it was intriguing to see who was speaking up with Kim about it and who didn't. I'm all for an upjust uh, team up in, in the remaining, remaining episodes, especially if they're going up against Void. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, you think 2.0 will uh, rebel against Void too? Like spread I weapons? Mean- that would be funny. Get the long guns. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Okay. Speaking of ethics, I had a problem with them raising that big question of ethics and then still using Ruby when it was clear she wasn't mentally well. They found her in a and they found her in the back, chanting the distances from Chicago to major cities, and it took her back to the district instead of to Dr. Charles at Med. I know they wrote her like that because they wanted to make the comparison of both her and Kim experiencing trauma and being broken by it and for them to be shown as opposites in the end with Kim remaining steady and Ruby retracting into her brokenness, but her not being of sound mind and them still pressing her to interact with the case is where it fell apart for me. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I didn't either. But yeah, yeah. it is true. Yeah. Uh, okay, so she went on to say, when pushed to tell where Ethan was, Ruby didn't say, I won't tell you where he is. She said, I won't tell you something that isn't true. With the fact that she recanted the rape accusation and said it was a lie, it's heavily implied with how that was said and other things they uncovered that she was abused by Ethan into thinking that anything that betrayed him was a lie. And instead of, again, taking her to med to be evaluated, Kim took her to her rape site. What the fuck? And denied her a lawyer. I did catch that. I wasn't thrilled with like the forced desensitization. Yeah. But it, yeah, yeah. There was a little bit of flawed execution in that. I think the idea in theory works, but it is like when you put it like that, it, it I hadn't really thought about it, but it is like very fucked up. Yeah. And lucky for Ruby, she didn't say anything incriminating after Kim said no to a lawyer. Yeah. Um, but if she had, yeah, I mean, that, that would absolutely be grounds to throw it out. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the last bit of what she said, she said, the ending was a long time coming. I'm glad they finally got to the root of the problem between them and we finally have Berzik back together. 
well, for now, I don't know if it's permanent, but we'll see. Um, the case, you know, we finally got something more concrete than we've had in seven years. I think this is like, I don't want to say finally, as in like they're going to stay together forever, but like this is as finally as we're going to ever get. So I'm taking the win. No, I'm taking the win too. I'm taking all the wins we got. I'm putting them in my pocket and I'm running away with them. Yeah. I'm with you on that. So yeah, the case this week just left me feeling mostly disgusted though. They misstepped in the story, the storytelling here, I think. I mean, it's never easy to tell a story that involves a rape. Yes, agreed. It's never easy to tell a story that involves trauma either. Mm -hmm. There's nothing easy or graceful or flawlessly executed about trauma. Nope. It's messy. Yeah. Very messy. Remember that time Berzik fucked? Yeah, that happened. (laughs) That happened. That happened. We're just going to be talking about that for the next, like, foreseeable future. It was pretty awesome. It was really sexy. (laughs) It really was, I know. That's like all I keep thinking about. I'm like, damn. Like, we've really been blessed in these last couple of seasons with like some really sexy, sexy scenes. Mm -hmm. For like network television standards, obviously. (laughs) There There is sexier, but like for network television standards, these are really sexy. Indeed. Indeed. Any other notes on PD? It's about damn time. That's all. It's just, it's about it's damn. About damn time. I'm gonna need it. Yeah. Drop the Lizzo clip. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. So that's about all we've got this week. Uh, it was, it was a wild week, but yeah, I'm taking the wins and I'm running. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as always, you guys know where to find us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, TikTok, meet us at Mellie's right across the board. Email us anytime about anything, meet us at mollies at gmail.com. Follow us on socials. Um, our links are like everywhere. So Instagram, Twitter, everywhere we are, you can see all the other places we are, we're at on social media. So um, check out our Patreon page. If you'd like to support the pod, that would be great. Check out our T Public page. We may or may not have some new merch dropping at some point. Oh, mm-hmm. um, follow us individually on Twitter. I am at Gina watches TV, Brenna. I'm at K 13 We get Casey next week. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, new episodes mean new episodes of us. And in the meantime, everybody have a well, great weekend. Hold up, hold up. Last reminder, Lila's coming on the pod next week. So if you have questions, send them our way. Yes. And then I'll leave yes. it. Please do send them our way. I'm so excited to talk to her. The interns have been absolutely wonderful. So yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Excited. So Yeah. In the meantime, everybody have a great weekend. If your final four is still intact, good luck. I uh, don't see how it is, but I'm yeah, not- I don't see how it is either. It's very few of you, if any. But yeah, enjoy your weekend, and we will see you next week. Bye.